What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast. My name is Mitch. You hear me every single week, and usually Boozy is with me, but he's out this week. He's a very busy boy, but ghost season must persist. We are kicking off a ghost series as of today, where we're going to be talking about two different haunted house movies. I guess haunted houses, ghost movies. We'll get into the logistics with our our guest co-host today. But yeah, we're talking about two really exciting movies, and here to join me for the episode kickoff is frequent guest of the show, Daniel Epler of the Cobwebs podcast and YouTube channel. How are you doing, Daniel? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Happy to be here podcasting uh, from my new seaside manor that I recently bought. Um, It's nice, very old. There's really weird sounds at night, though. I'm trying not to jump to conclusions, but it kind of sounds like screaming and wailing. I don't know. It could be the wind. I'm not worried. Might be the wind, might be a knife directly to the back of your head and through your mouth. We don't know. We don't know how this is going to turn out. Uh, But yeah, welcome, Daniel. Always excited to have you back on the show. And I guess this is our next guest. It's his second time being on the show. The last time you heard him on uh, with Mark Warner, where we talked about Crimson Peak, which was another ghost movie. So I guess you're Hmm. just a ghost boy at this point. Welcome to the show, Hayden. Hayden Gilbert. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing? I am a mannequin babysitter i don't know i'm not as good <laughs> at this as dan <laughs> I'm, I'm not as good at this as dan and i'm just a really annoying as fuck kid named bob <laughs> <laughs> that kid okay well we gotta wait to talk about bob yeah what about so, bob yeah so welcome <laughs> welcome uh welcome to the both of you we're gonna talk about some ghost movies today the ones i believe it was you guys who picked this uh, i just put out the feeler saying that we wanted to do a haunted house series or a ghost series. It was just something that I wanted to do after we got wrapped up with our slasher episodes. And um, I think you both chose this double. So we're going to be doing the uninvited from 1944. And then after that, we're going to be going all, we're going to go nearly 40 years later to Lucio Falci's house by the cemetery, which now having seen both of the movies is an incredible pair up. Uh, <laughs> very so much strange. commend you guys for these picks, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it was. I feel a little bad because uh, Daniel was like the uninvited, amazing movie, amazing. And I was like, House by, I was like, Ghost movie, House by Cemetery. Oh, and now I'm kind of like, Ghost movie. Okay. But, but I'm like, my Ghost movie, House by Cemetery. Mm, Mama Me, it's so good. Yeah. And Mitch, you were like, I really want to talk about the innocence. And I feel like me and Daniel were like, ah, the uninvited, uh, House by Cemetery. I still really want to watch. The innocence i just couldn't find it anywhere yeah no there's plenty of time to do the innocence and i've talked about that that movie on the show before so i'm actually more looking forward to talking about these are both first time watches for me um surprisingly oh. enough because both of them spoiler are directly up my alley uh but mm-hmm. i do love that like even you know i led this episode off by being like it's ghost season uh but wait, but we're talking haunted houses but are these even haunted house movies are these even ghost movies like that's there's so many logistics to this genre that makes it so interesting to talk about because without spoilers like one of these movies it's it's not a ghost movie or (laughs) well uh, is it even considered haunted i i think it's it's haunted (laughs) (laughs) well stick stick around for the main feature where we're going to be discussing the logistics but um but yeah like i said so excited to have you both back on i know daniel you've been killing it on cobwebs podcast lately tons of youtube material that you've been putting out that's always great to see i love seeing your face pop up on my my youtube feed i spend yes. more time on youtube these days than ever before 
Um, so yeah, it's just really nice being able to see all the content that you're putting out, but I particularly want to shout out your master carpenter series that you are currently doing. Um, I believe the first episode was with Keith Rich, where you guys talk about 2001, a space odyssey and dark star. Uh, and then the last episode was with Anthony King and Lexi Van Dyke, where you talked about Rio Bravo and assault on precinct 13. For any of our listeners who haven't given it a listen yet or don't know what's going on, can you explain what you're doing with this series? Yeah, definitely. Uh, So over at the Cobwebs podcast, it's a monthly series where once a month I put out an episode on a John Carpenter movie. I'm going through all of his theatrical movies in chronological order, uh, one movie per episode. But each episode, we're pairing the movie with a movie that influenced John Carpenter in making it in, in as many cases as possible. It's a movie that Carpenter explicitly named as an influence. And you can find that for most of the movies. There's a few where I had to do some guesswork, especially when you get later in his career, he doesn't really talk about his movies very much. Um, but so far it, it, it's been direct pairing. So um, 2001 uh, was a big influence on dark star. I think everybody knows Rio Bravo was like the main influence on assaulting precinct 13, maybe even the main influence on his entire career. Um, so it's, it's just a way to talk about my favorite director of all time. Um, and then also just, you know, kind of take a look at what makes him tick. What does he care about? Where did his movies really come from? Like where did he kind of dig these out of his head? Um, so it's been really, it's been really, really fun. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to having both of you guys on, on, uh, future episodes that we have planned. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Very, very excited. Uh, we'll keep that cat in the bag for now, but I know Boozy and I are going to be joining for one of these episodes and. Uh, it's one that I'm, I know we're both very, very excited about. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm really curious to hear what Hayden thinks of the ward. Oh, <laughs> did, well, you, did you know that just... he is on the ward? Episode? No way. Are, yes. I actually just got, that's hilarious. <laughs> he's on, let's he's just on two, say, but big Jared yeah. Harris fan. Big Jared <laughs> Harris fan. <laughs> can you believe he was the only person that jumped on the ward? I, you know, I can totally see that. And uh, that's, I know Hayden, we become pretty good buddies. Like ever since, you know, you first came on the show, we talk a lot, Um, but I love, like, I love your letterbox reviews and just your overall takes on movies are so interesting to me. Um, Like, cause most, like a lot of the times I entirely agree with you, but then it's like, we'll, we'll just have little conversation. What were we talking about? Oh yeah. It was ex machina and Chappie. (laughs) How much, how much more you liked Chappie? Than X Machina, and I'm like, that is a Hayden hot take. <laughs> that's like, that's actually a very interesting thing to bring up because for the longest time, I was very, I was always a movie kid. I always loved movies growing up, but I was very self conscious at a certain point where I thought, I felt that I was taking, I was, uh, Mm, parroting too much of what other people said about movies i was i really got self-conscious about like was i being honest with how i felt about movies and it's funny that you mentioned that we talked about that because i really felt like that was the year was that 2013 was that 2014 yeah 2013 2014 i think it was 2014 15 15 Oh, 15. That was the year that I kind of feel like I started being a little bit more honest. I wasn't like, uh, I don't know. I didn't feel like I needed to impress anybody or anything. I just remember watching Ex Machina and I liked it. But then I saw Chappie and I was like, this is my shit. I love Chappie. (laughs) I love love that for you. And I wouldn't change a thing about you. I just, I, I always love logging in and seeing, seeing, uh, seeing your takes. There's a shot. There's a shot in Chappie where uh, who's the main guy in Chappie? I can't remember. 
Isn't, isn't it Diane Wirt or Charles L. Copley? Isn't it I Dev think he's Patel? Chappie at least, yeah. Dev Patel, right? He's the main guy in Chappie, right? I'm going to be honest. I've never seen Chappie in full. Oh, no, God. I haven't either. Well, so De- I believe it's Dev Patel. He's walking through yep, the office and you see Hugh Jackman peeking out over a file cabinet. And it's just like, it's just like above his nose. It's just like his eyes and his forehead. And it's so funny. It's probably like the hardest I've laughed at a movie in uh, that year. It was the hardest I laughed at a movie. And I was like, Chappie Rocks, this movie's good. Gangster number one. Yeah. I See, I didn't even know Hugh Jackman was in that movie. But let's talk about ghost movies. <laughs> <laughs> let's Or let's just talk ghost about what we've, been, what we've been seeing uh, recently. Do one of you guys, let's hear Daniel. Do you want to kick us off with some stuff you've been watching recently? Yeah, sure. So um, I haven't watched a ton of new stuff lately, but one semi new movie that I watched recently, I think it came out last October, was uh, The Curse of Bridge Hollow on Netflix. Have you guys seen that? I wanted to watch that. I have not. So it's if I'm being totally honest with myself, I think one of my favorite kinds of movies is family Halloween movies. Yes, I love them. I grew up on them and I still just they're like catnip for me. So this is a kid's family movie. Uh, it's starring Marlon Wayans. He's the dad and him and his and the girl, the daughter is um is the little girl in Stranger Things. Uh, I don't remember her name, but she's in, she's like one of the kids, little sisters. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they uh, they move into they're They're coming in from New York, I believe. But they move to a small town called Bridge Hollow. Um, and it's this spooky little town that's obsessed with Halloween. And Marlon Wayans does not like Halloween because he's all upset. My cat jumped on my <laughs> chair um, because he's obsessed with science and Halloween's not real. Ghosts aren't real, blah, blah, blah. Halloween but, isn't real. <laughs> the, <laughs> nothing spooky is real. This is stupid. Um, but that's the uh, the the town has a curse of uh, Jack, the Jack that uh, spawned the Jack, the Jack-o'-lantern myth. Um, and the, this curse is enacted and a bunch of Halloween decorations come to life. So it's kind of like a goosebumps haunted Halloween kind of a movie. And it's pretty fun. Like it's, you know, it's not amazing, but it's got tons of Halloween atmosphere. Uh, I thought Marlon Wayans was really good in it and he was very likable. Him and his family were very likable. Um, and, uh, it's just a good time. And there's a one point where Marlon Wayans goes on a, chainsaw massacre against an army of skeleton zombies and it's pretty cool so i enjoyed the movie the sound of that i love gateway horror like that yeah yeah that's probably a better way to put it gateway horror yeah no i'm a i'm a big fan of that stuff too and i'm actually i i have one like pitch that uh if there's one thing that i'm like working on that i'm like really confident in it's that one so i'll tell you guys about it off air sometime but it falls in the family halloween horror oh cool um, but yeah, no, I love to hear that. I, I, this movie was not even on my radar, but like, I, I, I've never even heard of it and I have Netflix, so, um, I will add it to my queue and definitely get it queued up for uh Halloween. I wouldn't want to walk, walk across a hollow bridge though. <laughs> That's true. So is there like, okay, bridge hollow. Is there kind of a horseman thing in the background? Maybe. There is no horseman, but there is a giant pumpkin-headed monster that looks pretty awesome. You know, Dan, I believe we talked about this in our epic magnum opus, Legend of Sleepy Hollow discussion. It is a magnum opus. I'm glad you called it that. That was a great episode. So I've read that uh, 
pumpkins were not originally considered part of the Halloween tradition till it got over to America. Uh, it was originally like gourds and shit. Like Jacko the lanterns were carved into like melons and all these kind of turnips fruits. was a big turnips. one. Yeah, ones that grew in Europe. Uh, pumpkin, the pumpkin of Legend of Sleepy Hollow is really one of the major things that be- made pumpkins become a part of the Halloween tradition because in the story itself, it is a pumpkin. And the reason it is a pumpkin I've read is because it was an insult toward uh, Ichabod Crane because back then they considered people from New York considered people from Connecticut Yankees because they were they were northerners. And so he was like, go back to your fucking pumpkin place. Connecticut <laughs> asshole. Damn, we have I, come I a- didn't know that the story had that much significance on the pumpkin tradition. That's very I believe cool. it did. I may have just pulled that straight out of my ass, but that's what I've read, at least. Yeah. Awesome. I love pumpkin facts. And you know what, Mitch? Legend of Sleepy Hollow, ghost story. True. A magnificent ghost one story. One of the best. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Hayden, do you want to hit us with one that you've seen recently? Oh, let me refer myself to my notes. Um, I've watched quite a bit and quite a bit of horror. I'm trying to think of what I have a lot to talk about. Um, let's see. Oh, I watched for the first time uh, the movie from the 90s called Screamers. Have any of y'all seen that? Wait. No, I haven't. Screamers. That's not the no, because you don't like horror comedy. I think I'm thinking of a different movie. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not the biggest horror comedy guy. This is a. Oh, this one. Peter Weller. Yeah, it's got Peter Weller in it. It's sort of more of a sci fi horror movie. It's um, it's about this colony in space that um, it's very political, which is why my friends who call themselves communists showed it to me. They were very excited about it. But it's all, it's all about these like it's about this. A union of workers who were at one time like uh, kind of thrown by the wayside by their business. So they like their corporate overlords. And so these two factions kind of divided on this planet that they were mining. And um, the the like workers were working with the scientists and they and the scientists created these things called screamers. And there's these little robots that burrow under the ground and they seek out people who aren't wearing these little bracelets that say, hey, we're, we're part of the union or whatever, and they'll like kill them. And so the screamers, the titular screamers themselves aren't even the biggest part of the plot because the first half of the movie is just about these two factions trying to see like trying to work out like peace negotiations because they've kind of reached the point where they're like, well, hell, the the corp- uh, corporate has found a new planet to start mining so they've just left us here to die so we need to work out peace negotiations try and get off the planet because um they've forgotten about us they've moved on and um so it's really full of like political intrigue it's got really good uh character work the dialogue is amazing because peter weller is just this cynical asshole complaining about every single thing (laughs) that like he could think of for the whole first half of the movie and it is a really cool movie I had never thought much of. I'd only I think I had heard it mentioned on maybe Killer POV back in the day, but never thought I'd actually check it out. I recommend that movie um, 
pretty highly because I had a great time once the horror kicks in and it starts to become a little bit more about the screamers. Uh, it gets really fun. But even before that, it's a very, very engaging movie story. wise. So, so are they like monsters? The okay. So they I look like I, it. I just Googled it. And I'm seeing some cool monster pictures. <laughs> okay, I was yeah. going to say I would maybe recommend not Googling it because there might be spoilers. But oh. the, the little robots are kind of like monsters. They they burrow they burrow under the ground. They seek you out and they rip you like to pieces, basically. Yeah. And then the, the very first thing that happens that you're kind of like clued in on, like what's going on? You notice it's kind of subtle. They don't really point it out in dialogue for a bit, but you'll notice that the screamers start taking the bodies. Like after they kill these people, they're like, Ooh. take the bodies underground. You're kind of like, what are they doing with the bodies? And then all of a sudden this movie becomes very relevant to something that's going on today. It's a Ooh. really cool little movie. Nice. It sounds man. so cool. I just looked it up. There's a, there's a scream factory Blu-ray. It's 1799. I kind of just want to buy it right now. This sounds awesome. I recommend it. I mean, I know a lot of people or I know some people might not be fans of that 90s kind of sci-fi horror the, vibe. I this guess. is boozy 101. Like boozy, you're listening to this. I, <laughs> I know he's already got this queued up. It's like, I, I was going to say this. Really it looks, cool. It's got partial tremors vibes, but more so than anything, Starship Troopers vibes mm -hmm. um, is kind of yes. what I'm seeing. But this can't this predates it. Yes, it's Starship Troopers without the overt like satire. You know, it's played yeah. a, it's played more straight. Oh, and... it's on Tubi. This is a boozy movie. Yeah, this is boozy's going to be watching this pronto. Can y'all create a segment called like uh, boozy on Tubi or something? The like Tubi that? corner. Yeah, <laughs> the Tubi corner. <laughs> the Tubi corner. Well, we honestly considered changing the terror table to like the two the Tubi table. The, the Tubi. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just gonna that way we could do like movies that aren't horror, or just anything that's on Tubi. Tubi has some it. really good stuff, and then they have some glorious crap on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're the best. Just yeah. plain and simple. Okay, they that really sounds are. awesome, though. Screamers from 1995. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to go the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I'm going to talk about something brand new that I saw this week. Or mm -hmm. I guess I saw it last week. So I finally had some time off work, and I decided to use that week to just catch up on movies, you know, work on my own projects, and just recharge. And a big thing that's been missing from my life recently is I haven't been able to go to the theater a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So last Tuesday, I went, for I went to two movies. I went to see the Insidi Insidious, the Red Door, uh, by myself in the morning, which I'll talk about now. And then in the evening, I went and saw Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, which wholeheartedly recommend that. I'm not going to spend oh, a bunch wait. of time on it, but that movie's fucking awesome. Uh, that was the best out of the ones I saw in the theater last week. Up until I'm going to, I'm doing Barb. Are you guys doing Barbenheimer? I'm doing Barbenheimer on Sunday. I'm doing date night to see Barbie with the wife, and then I don't know when I'll make it to see Oppenheimer. Okay, what about you, Hayden? I'm taking myself on a little old date to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> nice. And then I think I'm gonna see well, I may see Oppenheimer and IMAX with Mark if I can if I can get over there. But uh and then I will see Barbie at some point. Yeah. Are you tapping your fingers? Yeah, you got a lot of noise going on with your mic. Do I? I think you might have just been tapping your fingers, thinking like, Oops. I'm gonna watch Oppenheimer on the on the IMAX. I was holding it, so maybe my <laughs> 
my greasy little hands were like, mm. yeah, like, you know. <laughs> but no, yeah, the Peter memes, Lori over here memes officially <laughs> got me. Um, I have tickets to see Barbie at twelve thirty on Sunday, and then I'm going to Oppenheimer memes. at six p.m. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But no, yeah, the Insidious, the Red Door. Are either of you fans of the Insidious franchise? Yes, and I love I love that Patrick Wilson is directing this. I love that him and the family are back because they've been gone for two movies and. I love that Patrick Wilson did a theme song with Ghost because yes. horror movies mm. need more tie-in theme songs like they yes. always had in the eighties. Love yeah. that. It's a great song. Yeah. I uh I really, really like the first movie, especially the lipstick demon and the music. I think Joseph Bashara, MVP yep. of that movie. As much Anti-Tim. as I like the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anti-Tim. Anti-Tim. Um, I love with my entire heart and being insidious chapter two i think nice. that might be okay i'm not gonna say it's my favorite james wan movie but out of all the conjurings and insidiouses which i almost kind of pair together as like one big thing um i don't know why they're different but they're pretty um, similar though patrick wilson <laughs> yeah, true, james wan, true true stories out of all of those and i like if not all of them the vast majority of them Insidious Chapter 2 is my favorite. It's just my kind of kooky, bizarre, weird, and fun, uh, and spooky. Um, I don't love Insidious Chapter 3, although I really enjoy that the conceit is about a mean ghost, a mean like CPAP ghost beating up a handicapped girl. Like That movie goes for it. (laughs) It's just like really brutal and relentless. I want to like that movie more than I do. I never saw the last key. I was kind of bummed for a while. I was like, in cities chapter two sets it up. So interesting. You've got this little group. You've got specs and Tucker and Carl with this little dice and maybe Barbara Hershey mm-hmm. <laughs> as like a ghost hunting team. And you got ghost Lynn Shay leading them as like the Ghostbusters. I was like, I want to see these sequels. And then they kept going back and doing prequels. So. I'm interested in five. I just haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole franchise. Like I, I really like all four of them. I really like the last key, but um, I know that the first one is the best, but three is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, So it really? just goes, yeah, I just, I love it. That movie really pulled the rug out from under me. I wasn't, ex- I was, I went in with very low expectations and now I just, I don't know. I really, there's something about it that I just really enjoy. You uh, and Mark no- Warner. Yeah, I, I just I love the whole franchise. Unfortunately, I didn't love the Red Door, which was kind of a bummer because um I was really, really looking forward to this, especially knowing that Patrick Wilson was, you know, helming and directing the thing. And I think he did a really good job. Uh, I think, you know, I've obsessed over this franchise and Patrick Wilson for a long time. So knowing that he has always been vocal about how he's not a horror movie fan, um, like that's one thing where I was like, well, I'm not sure how it's going to look when he directs a horror movie. But at the same time, He's been directed by James Wan and some of the greats. So I'm, you know, and he's clearly uh, a bright person and he's, you know, very, he's an astute filmmaker and that is on display in the red door. It's definitely well-directed. I think there's just something about it that uh, like, you know, it's got the jump scares and, you know, a lot of people poo-poo on jump scares, but that's a big part of this genre and why people like it. Like, you know, that's, I thought that was what made those insidious movies so much fun to go out to the theater is like watching the whole crowd jump or the person that you're with throw their popcorn in the air. Like I like that part of horror. Um, so I'm, I'm all for 
you know, a well-crafted jump scare. And there's a bunch of them in this one. Uh, but the movie basically, it picks up all these years later. Young Dalton is now sprouted up. He's just a, he's a very tall, made me feel so old, which that was like the worst part for me. I was like, <laughs> God damn it. It feels like yesterday I went and saw Insidious in the theater. And it was like 13 years ago. It's insane. Oh my God. I know. And I'm like, do I look that different from, but it's yeah, whatever. We're getting old. It sucks. Um, <laughs> but uh, young Dalton, he's, he's really good. Like he's a good actor. And I think, you know, he shows a lot of promise um, in the future, just as a, as a more dramatic actor in his adult years. Uh, but you know, the movie falls into a lot of cliches that I'm not a big fan of. Like he's a uh, art school student that automatically is like, uh Oh, uh what are we're gonna go into a classroom and she's gonna tell him to paint from within that's what that's gonna happen isn't it and then it happened i'm like oh god damn like it's so so <laughs> cliche um and i'm also not above cliches and horror as well because there's certain things that work for a reason um but just it just wasn't uh it it just wasn't connecting for me i, I feel like another big part is that the movie picks up all these years later and they're divorced now they're separated so like what exactly oh, Auto- daniel's least out. favorite thing no like i love that family so much so it's like you know when when we open up with the, they're going to barbara hershey's funeral so automatically no! she's dead i'm like fuck what <laughs> then, the fuck yeah i get and this is all in the first five minutes so <clears throat> i hope i'm not spoiling it too big but then you know i'm such a big fan of rose byrne and i love her character like i love josh and renee lambert together and they spend 90% of the movie apart from each other. I have seen these insidious movies so many times that I can pretty much recite every word in all of them. And I still forget that there's another brother. <laughs> like a brother. Oh, that yeah. Isn't, that <laughs> yeah isn't Dalton. The, the little dark haired one who never says anything. Yeah. Well, he says something in this one. And I was like, it was oh, that he, says, he says something. He says something. <laughs> he has like one pretty important line and i actually like i went to it by myself i love going to movies by myself especially if it's like 11 a.m there's two other people in the theater i'm like normally oh. going to a movie like insidious on opening night is dangerous because you yeah. you run the risk of being surrounded by really loud kids teenagers. or teenagers or you know people on their cell phones i'm like perfect no one's in here but holy shit my eyes rolled all the way to the back of my head oh no uh, when he said one thing but you know it's not bad like the movie is not bad it's very well put together <laughs> Patrick Wilson is like, it would take so much for that guy to turn in a performance. That's not short of great. Um, mm-hmm. He definitely, you know, holds this thing together with it's, it's a very, I think they try really hard to, you know, tug on the emotional heartstrings. But like I said, when, when you split the family up that the family that I love so much, I just, a this bummer. is, yeah, it, it really bummed me out, but the it's final like biggest pet peeve in movies and sequels. They pulled they a national treasure to book of shadows. Fun. Well, yeah. it's not so bad. National Treasure Two, because at least they spend the movie together and they get back together by the end. And it yeah, also so wasn't pointless. quite so cliche at that <laughs> yeah. point. Now it's like every sequel ever made, they do that. Oh, I know. And yeah, I don't know. Like the, the another big thing is, you know, at the end of Insidious Two, they basically set up that they're gonna wipe their memories, so that you know that automatically. I'm like, yeah, that that's a fine fitting ending for that. But now we got to watch this other movie where we already know what's going on. And the characters are relearning stuff that we already know is happening. Mm. And oh, I forgot that part of Insidious too. I don't think I've seen that since the theater. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It just, it, it definitely, this one felt very much like a fifth installment to me, which is a, kind of a bummer. 
Well, uh, you know, fifth installments can be very good. They can, like a dream child. Uh, dream child and my favorite, Halloween 5, Revenge All of right, Myers. Come on, man. Come I on, love man. Halloween 5, Daniel. <laughs> dream, dream child starring MILF Manor as Lisa Wilcox. Uh, now, okay, I've got a question for y'all because I also love the ghost song, the theme song for Insidious 5. It's beautiful. What part is Patrick Wilson singing? Because I'm not, I'm not that familiar with Ghost outside of the theme song for another favorite Halloween. He sings Halloween like Kill. most of it. He's everything He's the except lead? for like a rock and chorus. Yeah. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. I mean, he was really? a Broadway, a Broadway performer mm-hmm. and singer, and he's in well, the Phantom of the Opera. He's in Phantom movie. Yeah, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And the, the very best. Like, I'm a huge Conjuring fan as well, and my favorite moment in the whole <gasps> franchise is You're when right. he's singing Elvis. You're right. Like he's got such a beautiful voice. And like the song, I just wish, I really wish the, I wish the, it emotionally resonated with me the way that you could see that they were, tra- they were going for. Um, but even like, you know, I'm not some genius by saying I could pick up like, you know, half an hour before the movie was over. I was like, we know we're about to see one of these characters and they're going to mm-hmm. say something that's going to make everyone like, you know, it just feels kind of cheap to make you teary-eyed and nostalgic for the for the franchise but uh yeah it's it's my least favorite i out of all of them i wouldn't say it's a bad movie i still think if you're an insidious fan you should see it uh you don't necessarily need to rush out to the theater but like i said the theater is where you get the really great jump scares and that's Mm -hmm. something that patrick wilson clearly picked up on from you know his years of working with people like james wan um so yeah it's just it it was kind of a disappointment for me but it gave us that ghost song that ghost song is great. Are y'all more of a Conjuring fan or an Insidious fan? I can't answer. Insidious I, all the way. Yeah, I Easy. love them both. Really? I love them both, but that's that's tough. I don't know. Like The, the original Conjuring is like one of my favorite modern yeah. horror movies. I love overall. I like the Conjuring universe more. I love the vibe. I love the period. I love the aesthetics and everything. And I like most of the movies more than I like most of the Insidious movies I've seen. But man, Insidious Chapter 2 is so fun. Yep, it is a blast. Cool. Yeah, so that was Insidious the Red Door. Let's pass it off to you guys, because I got a few more I want to talk about as well. But Daniel, what else you got? Okay, so I've got a bunch of 80s stuff. I've definitely been in an 80s mood lately. And uh, for the first time in my life, I watched Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive from 1986. Do you guys see Maximum Overdrive? Oh, yeah. I'm assuming I so. Saw, yeah, I'm kind of late on this one. Saw a bit of it before I conked out. <laughs> we, yeah, we did an episode on this one ages ago, like a oh, long, man, I forgot long, that. long, long time ago. Okay. Uh, I yeah, was so... shout out Emilio. That's right. I actually watched two '80s horror movies with Emilio Estevez recently, uh, unbeknownst to myself. Um, yeah, I was so surprised by what this movie was. It was not the movie I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was like a, I thought it was like Duel. I thought it was like a killer truck movie. Like a, this truck's coming after us and it's got a green goblin head on the front. The movie is about a comet flying by. And because the comet flies by, it turns all machines, all appliances into killing machines that just want to kill us. And I was like, what? Which sounds way more entertaining than the movie <laughs> actually is. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but I was entertained by it. I, you know, a funny thing about it is I've heard so much over the years about how insane the movie is and how cocaine fueled it is. Mm-hmm. And based on my expectations, it was not as crazy as I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, this is actually more of like an actual movie than I was expecting based on what I've heard. 
Um, it's it feels very much like a zombie movie. Uh, it's structured exactly like a zombie movie, very much like Night of the Living Dead with a group that are that are holed up in a truck stop and uh, and they can't leave or they're maybe trying to plan how to leave, but they can't because there's all these trucks out living trucks because all machines have come to life and all these trucks want to do is kill them. So basically instead of zombies, you've just got machines that want to kill everybody. Um, it's, you know, it's weird. So many of the character interactions are so strange, so odd. And there's so many really weird actors, like actors you would not expect to see in a professional movie, not because they're bad, but because they're just so odd, which I liked about it. It just made the movie quirky and weird. Um, I gave it, three stars actually i i kind of enjoyed it um but it's it's structured very weird it's it does not have a clear like first act second act third act it just feels like stuff just happens and happens and happens and then the movie ends yeah i uh i mean huge stephen king fan uh hot take i know <clears throat> but no yeah lo- <laughs> love stephen king i even who <laughs> it's like even when it's not a great adaptation or a great movie in general, I generally like any Stephen King movie because they just have a different feel. They have a kooky fun kind of feel to them and stuff. Yeah, uh, me too. Maximum Overdrive is one I, I could never really get into. I didn't even really care for this short story that much when I read it back in the day. Um, I do, however, love the trailer for Maximo. Uh, yeah, Maximo it's an all-timer. Oh, yeah. That's an all-timer. Stephen King, he's like, he's like, I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to... Sc- oh, that's right. <laughs> they say if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. I've seen I'm going to scare the that. hell out of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because the movie doesn't even feel like it's trying to be scary. Like at no point no. does it even feel like they're going for a scare. It's just I trucks know. driving around. <laughs> it's so sad too because he was like, I wanted to do it because I wanted to see if I could do it. And it scared me away from ever directing again. <laughs> <laughs> at least he, he understood. Yeah. 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 No, I, I've only seen it. I think I've seen it twice in my life and uh, I like, I'm definitely going to rewatch it again at some point, but I just remember I didn't hate it by any means, but it is one of those ones where I felt like given, you know, the history and everything you hear about, I was expecting it to be way crazier than it actually was. I want to know the story behind the green goblin. Like why, why the green goblin face on the truck? Yeah, it looks exactly like the Green Goblin it, from the. Conference. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's him. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I, I'm pretty sure there is a story. There was like I think Vestrom put out a Maximum Overdrive. Uh, yeah, that's it, how it had I a bunch it. of special features I would like to check out, but I don't own that copy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Cool. Well, Hayden, do you want? Do you have another one you want to chat about? Let me see. Let me pull it up here. There's a few I don't that I don't have a lot to say about. Um, I did revisit. A movie I love to death, so I could just give it a, another little shout out on here for anyone who hasn't watched it. Because um, while I was away on vacation and away from any way of like watching anything live as it happened, uh, uh, Mark did tell me that Joe Bob uh, did an episode on the Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, and. I was like, that is perfect material for him. That's like up there with Legend of Boggy Creek. It just is two things that go so great together, you know? And so it was perfect for his format and everything. So whenever I got home from vacation, I, I watched it because any reason for me to 
revisit that movie is a great one. Um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is like a made-for-TV movie from um, the early 80s. It was written by pretty much the only filmmaker to make it out of my hometown. And the first time I ever heard of it and saw it was when the DVD first came out, I think in 2010 or something. My dad was like, oh, this he heard that they were doing a screening of it in Beaumont and he was, and it was going to be a Q and a with uh, JD Fiegels, uh Fiegels. I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, Fiegelson. but yeah, Fiegelson. And he was like, we got to go. This was, this was like a huge event back in the day when this came out, he was telling me all about the first time he saw it, how crazy it was. And he was really passionate for it the same way he was about like, the Salem's Lot miniseries. So I was like, oh man, if this is anything like Salem's Lot, it's going to be great. And we watched it and just like feeding off his passion for it. I just fell in love with that little made for TV movie about a killer scarecrow. And just all these years later, it just, every time I rewatch it, I love it more and more. It's, it's slow. You know, it doesn't give you the, killer scarecrow action you're probably thinking it does when you see the poster art and whatnot but um you finally get a little bit of it at the very very end it really makes you work for it but there's just such a pleasant cozy vibe to it that i really really gel with it always gets me excited for late summer uh early fall and uh i think you both have seen it mitch i think you and i have talked about it before i don't think i've seen dark knight of the scarecrow i know boozy is a big fan of scarecrows oh <laughs> that's, <laughs> I, that's I started with watching the military guys yeah i yeah. started watching it once and it's a bunch of military guys in a helicopter and i'm like oh this is not the vibe i was looking yeah for. and see boozy, like, maybe another boozy loves that shit like starship troopers dog soldiers that's like boozy's <laughs> bread and butter it's military dudes taking troopers. on taking yeah. on monsters but uh no i I, you know, I don't think I've seen this, so I'm going to put it at the top of my list. Oh, man. It's, I see it's on Tubi. It's a made for TV movie. I think it's generally considered one of the best. I mean, there's don't, I would agree with that. It, it doesn't, you don't watch it and you're like, oh, this is definitely made for TV. Like, it's definitely well made, has great, great atmosphere to it. Mm-hmm. It's such a good, like, I cannot stress this enough. It's a very, it is a slow burn. And, uh, you know, the, the kills are edited for TV and whatnot, but it's a man. It's such a good little movie. The more I think of it or the more I think about it, the more I am just like in love with the script. I think it's a perfect script in the way everything is set up and paid off. And I didn't know this. I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I felt like I read up a bunch on it, but why I love watching the Joe Bob stuff is because he's just, you know, he's so well-versed in all this stuff. He brings up these tidbits I, I never knew. Apparently, uh, J.D. Fiegelson, right? Yeah. Yeah. J.D. Fiegelson, uh, I don't know why I'm pronouncing it like that. He was in contact with Ray Bradbury when he was writing the script. And Ray Bradbury, who is another one of my favorite authors, took him under his wing and pretty much like helped not helped him write the script but he would send him notes and to the point where like the very last draft he was like you're done this is great and so i had no idea ray bradbury had such an influence on this movie it just made even more sense why i was so drawn to it yeah that's got to be like a revelation for you because i know this movie is like 
one of the the greatest Hayden texts of all time. It's like such a Hayden movie. It's certainly and I know you're this like you're this huge Ray Bradbury guy too. So that's just amazing. I had no idea. It true Dan. It truly felt like the stars were aligning when he said that. I was like, what? I was is is crazy. You heard angels singing, man. I did. <laughs> they were wearing burlap sacks over their faces. <laughs> Well, I do love Scarecrows, so like not the movie Scarecrows. I don't think I've seen that one either, but I'm going to add this to my list. Uh, Man, it's it's a great one. There's another one that Jeff Burr did just called Night of the Scarecrow, and that's more of like a Scarecrow slasher. That's a good one, too. I recently watched Husk. That's okay. Yeah, Yeah. it was all right. Um, I just want a great Scarecrow movie, and Dark Knight of the Scarecrow it is a very good movie. It just doesn't give you much Scarecrow action on screen. Yeah. That's just kind of what I'm missing, but I do like it. I still More think of a ghost the movie. most, yeah, I still think the most satisfying Scarecrow horror ever put to screen is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yes, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yes. I love that... that the three of us have brains. Oh, man. Dude. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can't, I can't go off on a... Not enough people give that movie the respect it deserves. I was working Agreed. at a theater when that came out and I was gripping the table in front of me. And I was just like, I was just like freaking out. Cause I was having such a great time and ever the response was so tepid Yeah. whenever like after it, I was like, this was such a good, such a good little movie. So yeah. I think the Herald stuff in that and Jeff Burr's night of the scarecrow, that's going to scratch your scarecrow itch. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that's like a perfect movie for me because it's got Scarecrow Horror. It's got a drive-in. It's got trick-or-treating. It's just got like everything I want to watch in a movie, you know? That whole <laughs> montage set to Season of the Witch is like, yes. oh, God. Any any vibes. kinds of covers of Season of the Witch do it for me. You got Dean Norris. He's your sad dad. That's great yeah. stuff. He's great sad dad. Would they, <laughs> he's great. She like all so bad for him. You got, got toes. toes. <laughs> you got toes. We're all big toes. Oh man! One of my favorites. So at the at the baby shower for my kid, one of my friends came and he gave my kid as a present the scary stories to tell in the dark book. Oh. <laughs> and like I almost a wanted baby. to cry. Like I was so touched by that, and I love Aww. having that on his shelf. And I do read. I mean, right now he's a baby, so he doesn't know the difference. But I do yeah. read it to him already. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> I bet he loves the the Hearst song and the ones that are like sing songy and stuff. Like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Uh, so yeah, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. That is 1980, 1981. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to watch that one. Uh, I'm going to knock off two at once because they are two Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe collabs. Yes. Oh, <laughs> so language, man. You're speaking yes. I figured like, and I honestly didn't even plan this, but it is perfect that both of you are here for this. Uh, Cause obviously, you know, the early days of cobwebs was, uh, you know, primarily focusing on like the hammer hammer stuff, but you also covered a lot of the poor, the Corman Poe movies. Um, but yeah, I am going to talk about two today. I watched house of Usher. Is it just house of Usher? Or is it fall of house of Usher? The it movie depends on house the country of, of release. I oh. think in America it was house of Usher and in UK it was fall of the house of Usher. But it is confusing. Yeah. I think on my copy, because I have the Scream Factory, like Vincent Price collections. I the only one I don't don't have is the second one, which is annoying because now it's like three hundred dollars online, and I really mm-hmm. want it. Um, but yeah, big fan of just like this Vincent Price stuff. Uh, obviously, I've talked a lot about on the show, like how much I love Mask of the Red Death and uh, Witchfinder General. Like those are those, and I love Doctor Fives too. 
Uh, but I had actually never seen House of Usher or The Haunted Palace. Oh, Haunted Palace is the Lovecraft one, right? Yeah. So it was actually like, you know, everyone, you know, they they Roger Corman was even marketing it as like still an Edgar Allan Poe collab. But it was like the actual story for Haunted Palace was written by H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. Can you confirm that, Daniel? Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember the title, but I think it's the same title that the resurrected is based on with um chris sarandon isn't it shadow over Indians? no i don't think so not that one it's got the guy's name in it it's like the something of this randolph guy. carter i'm just gonna no. go through all the the titles that i know, <laughs> titles that I know. it's yeah. like the, the something of dr something mm. oh yeah I'm not entirely sure, but I know I'll just start off with House of Usher. Oh, the so. case of Charles Dexter Ward. That's yeah. the one. And that's also the resurrected is based on that too. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, Charles Dexter. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go with um actually now that we're on that, I'll go Haunted Palace first. So Charles Dexter Ward arrives at a small village to visit the house he inherited from his ancestor who died there one hundred years ago. And, you know, all these movies are starring Vincent Price. Always a blast seeing him. Basically, the one of the big reasons why I love these movies and a big part of my recent love for them is cobwebs. Like, got, definitely got me into all of the gothic cinema that I've always I've always been a big fan of gothic cinema, but I didn't know really where to start with the with these uh, classics, if you will. Um, but picking up those sets has been just like they're kind of become like comfort movies for me. Just mm-hmm. ghost movies in general are comfort movies for me. Uh, like if I'm ever like feeling sick or don't know what to put on, I don't know how you guys are, but like I fall asleep with the TV nine times out of 10. I'm now falling asleep to like old black and white movies or uh, these Corman Post stuff because I just there's something about them that kind of it's not like soothing. they definitely do not bore me, but they're soothing. Yeah, they're yeah. so oh, soothing. For sure. Yeah, and for uh, sure. and I just love like the aesthetic. I love the sets and like especially yeah, like the Haunted Palace has some amazing sets and uh you know you get to really explore them with the characters which is one of the be- the best things i can say about the haunted palace um but yeah you definitely need to enjoy watching people walk around corners <laughs> uh that is like a big <laughs> a big thing in the haunted palace but luckily since like you know i just i love the tone and the aesthetic that so much that it's it's a treat not a chore um but vincent vincent price plays two characters uh one of them well kind of uh, you're led to believe that he plays two characters, but one of them is a warlock and the other is his nephew who uh, the warlock is set on fire at the stake. And of course, before he in his last final dying words, he he announces a curse to all of those around him. And yeah, it's a uh, it's just a blast like it, this one actually more so than the others. I kind of felt had a bit of a sleazy edge to it because um, like the it makeup, does. I mean, it's got that one scene. Yeah, like there's some pretty kind of uncomfortable things in here but like the mutants themselves like the makeup on the mutants it looks like i don't think that they were built to be screened in 4k <laughs> uh, <laughs> very like, splotchy yeah very yeah. splotchy like it's like the eyes are covered in like some kind of paste but uh um but oh yeah and i actually saw because uh i think hayden you posted on letterbox something about like the only thing that this movie suffers from is there there's a painting of vincent price <laughs> in it that looks rough and i while i was watching i was like this is like telling my parents that i want to 
get a rent a Vincent Price movie and they go, no, we got Vincent Price at home. <laughs> we've got we've got a Vincent Price <laughs> painting at home. That, that and those those paintings they actually I don't know who it is like maybe just someone in set deck or you know someone in the art department who actually provided those paintings, but they are the only thing that kind of really stands out. If they just showed it from afar, it'd be fine. Yeah. I don't know. It's I really like the Haunted Palace. I like them both probably equally. Uh, but House of Usher, another like awesome part about it is knowing that Mike Flanagan's new series is going to be coming. It's Dude. it's around the corner. <sighs> Have you know they filmed it all here? There was like so much drama surrounding by the shoot, but that's like yeah. there is for every shoot. Like every every movie's a nightmare. What I've picked up on, uh, but everything that I've heard and seen, like you know, I just love I love Flanagan. So oh, I'm just okay. excited. And he just switched to Prime. So he may have been in a bad place with the people he was talking to oh, through Netflix. Yeah. So, oh, is he uh, is this not going to be on Netflix anymore? This is the last thing yeah. he's doing for Netflix. Oh, okay. And now he's in the Dark Tower universe with Prime. Yeah. Um, okay. But nothing so. nothing could ever take away the emotional power that that first season of Hill House had on me. Like oh, it, God, yeah. It I hadn't felt that way about a TV show since like six feet under. It was like, yeah, no, it's very, the best. very powerful. But I am. I want to speculate about the TV show or ask okay. y'all what y'all think. So he's doing that thing that he's been doing with the haunting series where he takes like an author and he kind of combines a bunch of their stories into one. Sounds like he's doing that again with Poe, which is awesome. Cause it's going to be the fall of the house of Usher, but He's also said in interviews that he's mixing a lot of different post stories in it. So we can we can guess there's going to be a heart under the floorboards and there's going to be a black yeah. cat. And there's going to be a raven saying nevermore. You know, all, all these little great hallmarks. And I love that. But what I'm so excited about is because I wasn't a big fan of the monologues in Midnight, uh, Mass. Midnight Mass or Bly Manor. I think they will fit. They work so much better for me in such a in a period piece that feels very theatrical like it's a gothic you know horror kind of thing there's a little bit of distance it feels more like theater and i'm just so pumped for like a gothic uh, a something with a gothic aesthetic and like really really grand guignol style gore because that's what he's been pumping it's, this up as. Yeah, I think this one, from what I have heard and seen, this is going to be a very, very rock and roll. Oh, so not sure. I cannot wait for this so, man. And I'm I'm open for that because, yeah, I don't know. I've like, you know, almost every single I think I've liked everything that he's done. Uh, definitely like a big fan of all of his stuff. But this one, yeah, it seems especially after watching the original now, though, like, you know, you got Vincent Price with a, in his full on Machine Gun Kelly mode. Uh, <laughs> which i know there's a lot a lot of classic film fans just staring right now that the fact that i compared vincent price to machine gun kelly but it's got howard the stern howard yeah. stern can interview and be like you're so cool you're like a really cool guy but the, and like the other thing like you know coming so fresh out of the insidious franchise is uh phil winthrop he goes into the further in this one like Wait. there's a big portion of house of usher where it feels <laughs> like it's like dude this this had to have been 
a bit of an inspiration on the further. Do, do you guys know yes. what I'm talking about? Like, very, yeah, the, the, blue the psychedelic scene. And, yeah, yes. those Corman Poe movies usually have a scene like that. Yeah, yes. I didn't think about it like that, but that's a cool observation. Such a lovely era of horror: the Hammer and and uh, Roger Corman movies. Oh, really I love the, the '60s. I think the '60s yeah. is probably the most underrated decade for horror. There's, There's so a, much cool stuff. There's a book I need to recommend to you, Dan, that you can hate read. Um, it's called <laughs> Shock Value. It's by Jason. I got that book. Oh, yeah. I read that. And overall, I like it. But that whole me and my roommate at the time, uh, Mark's roommate at the time as well, we were always like, we were always reading it and we were like, why does this guy hate the 60s? So the 60s horror scene so much. He was like, everything sucked. Everything sucks and sucked in the 60s till Rosemary's baby. And like, I guess he's kind of like, ah, this was grandpa horror. And then you get the really good stuff. But I had thought that because I'd read the book and I just took his word for it. And then I like start watching those hammer movies and start really getting into the Roger Corman stuff. And I was like, this is kind of, I feel like I've been missing this in my life. Like this is so far up, like what I like. So, yeah, it's yeah, well, it's not surprising that he thinks that at all, because that I feel like that was the mainstream opinion for 60s probably. horror for a long time, even during the 60s. I mean, horror was a horror is often looked down upon, but I think it, I think especially during the 60s, because it I think at the time it's like, oh, they're just rehashing this Frankenstein and vampire stuff over and over again. And we're ready for something new. And then Rosemary's Baby and Night of the Living Dead. Yeah finally yeah. did bring something new and those kind of transitioned us into the seventies. And then it's like, Ooh, it's this brave new world, which I totally understand in the context of the time being like, Oh, finally something different. We're not still yeah. doing Gothic mansions, but in the context of today, it's like, well, if you like Gothic mansions, it's like the most visually beautiful version of it. And there's right. so much cool stuff in there. Um, but I think you kind of do need the context of time to appreciate it completely. That's true. I just remember him shitting all over it. And I was like, damn, Jason, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I, I've definitely heard that over the years as well as people just like I've heard like primarily the 50s and the 60s were like the the rough era, rough eras. And I've found so much stuff to enjoy in both of those decades. Mm-hmm. I think 70s is still my personal favorite like decade in film. But uh, but there's like there's a little gold mine here, like, you know, as someone who does, hosts a horror movie podcast, it's so great knowing that there's still all this stuff that I not only am just liking, but I'm finding new stuff that I genuinely love. And like, that's what's exciting for me is, you know, I probably wouldn't have loved this stuff if I would have seen it when I was a teenager or something like that. Some of this, I guarantee you, I would have, though, like because I grew up even like I was a big fan of The Haunting from like a young age. And that's a weird one to be a fan of as a kid because it's like kind of you know a lot of them a lot of people they find it really dry but the thing is with these Corman Poe movies Vincent Price is always so charismatic that you just can't take your eyes off of him yeah even when he's ask you a question can I ask you a question about little Mitch watching the haunting Yes. Did you get the lesbian stuff? At no. The time? I'm going to be completely honest. With I you. remember I did. I was like, oh, oh interesting. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't pick up on that until like recently. <laughs> you know, it's I... funny. It, this kind of goes into um, what have you seen lately? But I recently watched Waxwork 2. Have you guys seen Waxwork oh, yeah. 2? I haven't they seen do it. a little homage to The Haunting, and the lesbian stuff is so like, mm, you can sleep in my room tonight. <laughs> yeah. And it's, De- it's Deanna Troy from. Star Trek Next Generation, which is really fun. So speaking of the haunting, they're doing they 
they're doing this thing. I guess it's going to be a new trend where they're uh, writing sequels to classics. The some apparently she's well respected. I asked a friend about it, and she's a bigger she's a bigger reader than I am. She was very familiar with the work, and she likes the new author. But she was like, "I'm very conflicted because uh, this friend of mine is also a huge Shirley Jackson fan, and they've kind of given." Uh, this lady, uh, I shouldn't say this lady. I should have looked up her name before I started talking about this. But this writer, they've given her uh, kind of authorship to write an official sequel to um, Haunting of Hill House. And I just like, I, I don't know how I feel about that. It's a little well, I mean, weird. Man, Flanagan, uh, kind of, Flanagan kind of already did the same thing. Like, I know right, I, have a, but... I have a couple of friends who are like, oh, Shirley Jackson would hate this. I'm like. Honestly, cool. I love I love Shirley. I love the book. I love the original the Haunting. I think Flanagan elevated the material. Well, the the difference to me. Oh, I agree. I think it's yeah. the best version. I agree. It's my favorite thing to come out of that story. Like I love the book to death. I really like the Haunting. Um, and but I agree with you. I like the Flanagan thing the most out of everything. However, to me, the difference is that he he made it his own thing. Uh, it, it's like got the character names. That's it. This is an official sequel to the book. So um, I don't know why it feels different to me. I just, it does feel a little strange um, book. Maybe really good. I don't know. Uh, it may also have Dr. Monk to you training a group of kids at some university and they come in and ghost bust uh, ghost Nell in Hill house. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> I don't know. It should pull in like all the legacy sequel tropes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you oh. think, cuz? <laughs> oh my god. Such... Well, that's just the best legacy sequel that's right so there. Good. That's so Texas good. Chainsaw 3D, isn't it? Oh yeah. Oh, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. Okay. Um, yeah, the so the best House of Usher and the Haunted Palace. I definitely recommend both of them. Honestly, so, yeah. I think in the, the like either of the, I have the first and third volume of the Vincent Price uh, collections and there hasn't been a single one that I haven't enjoyed. Uh, so that's been nice. Um, mm. I have a whole bunch of other stuff, but I know that do, do you guys have other stuff you want to shout out? I can't. Oh, l- let me shout one more thing real quick. And it's, I re- I just watched this horror anthology from 1983 called nightmares. Cause I got the screen factory Blu-ray in their shocktober sale last October. And I finally popped it in and it's a collection of four story. I, man, I just love horror anthologies. There's such a good vibe to get in the spooky season mood. Uh, and it's four stories. And it's interesting. There's absolutely no wraparound. So it just goes story, 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 story. Um, and the first one is definitely the best one. It's this It's this one where this woman has to go out for cigarettes when she knows there's this escaped lunatic on the loose. So she risks it. And of course, she's probably going to come into contact with that escaped lunatic. There's another one with Emilio Estevez, more Emilio Estevez, where he's this teenager addicted to this video game and he can't stop playing it. And it's got a lot of like fun 80s arcade nostalgia because he keeps going to the arcade to do it, which is fun. Um, and there's one, another one with Lance Henriksen. Um, and then there's one with a monster rat. And that's what I centered my letterbox review around where the, the whole segment sets you up to where there's a monster rat, like giant rat in the house. And when you finally see it, it's the most disappointing reveal I've ever seen. Like, it's such a bummer what they did to realize this monster rat. It's not Cabinet of Curiosities version, sadly. Oh, um, or Hail Ratma. 
or Ratma, yeah. But it's a it's a pretty solid horror anthology, I thought. Like, I think definitely the first two segments were the best, so it unfortunately goes a little bit downhill. But the next two are still totally fine, other than the rat reveal. Um, and I thought it, I thought it was a pretty cool little little horror anthology. I don't hear talked about as much as some others. Apparently, it was it started out as kind of a pilot to horror anthology TV series that never happened, so it kind mm. of just got thrown together for a movie. But um, but I would recommend it, especially for people who just love checking out like any horror anthology. It's it's probably better than a lot of them out there. And what was that one called again? It's just called Nightmares, so kind okay. of a generic title. Kind of want to see that. That sounds cool. I like rats. Even if you they would probably fake. like it. I think it's. I think it's up your alley. Yeah. The last thing. Um. I mean, I watched a bunch, but the last thing I'd really want to shout out is um. There is a studio, a very small little independent studio called Small Town Monsters. For any cryptid heads out there who like Bigfoot and Mothman and all that kind of stuff, these guys make cryptid documentaries. They're very fun. They're very consistent in their quality. And honestly, I think they're like just really, I think they're really well made, especially for like the budget that they're at. Um, and it's not just like some guys walking in the woods going like hearing his twig snap going, what's that? And a little like you never get any of that. It's always uh, interviews with quote unquote eyewitnesses and you get a lot of lore and history about the places that these sightings take place in. And that's why I like it so much. There's so much focus on the regional area and its people. I like all that history stuff. It adds so much context to it. They, the one they put out this year that I just checked out was the Dogman triangle, uh, werewolves in the Lone Star state. And it's, about sightings of dogmen that take place directly in my area, all in central Texas. Um, it's probably my least favorite out of their dogmen ones. They've done quite a few beast of Bray road, um, the Rougarou in Louisiana and a, a few other dogman documentaries. This is probably my least favorite one. However, it's still really fun and they utilize these techniques in their filmmaking with each one, they kind of change them up. The one in Louisiana had like a found footage quality to it, to the reenactments. That was really creepy. This one, they kind of do a 1980s analog um, PSA at the beginning. Like when you're visiting the Lone Star state, you want to check out the Alamo, but beware of werewolves. And like that stuff is really cool, really <laughs> cozy and fun. Um, I would definitely recommend anyone who's a big cryptid head, check out small town monsters. They're, they're, uh, they're good guys, good guys and gals and people. And uh, I, I really like their stuff. Fascinating. This is so off my radar. I've seen the posters for um, like the Momo one. Yes. Momo, the Missouri one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like Momo. Hey, shout like out. Momo. I got to see that then. There you go, man. There's uh, Momo, there's Mothman, Skinwalkers, Werewolves, Bigfoot. This is all like God. Boozy's just pissed. He's not here right now. You gotta the... get, we got to get I'm an sorry. episode going with like just put Hayden and Boozy in a room together. I want, uh, I want to hear that. I could get. Have you done a Bigfoot mess. episode yet? You've talked a lot about yeah. Bigfoot stuff, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. we we did a, we did a series. We did exists, um, right. and then we also did a uh, what was the other one? Oh, Legend of Boggy Creek. Hell yeah. And then Willow okay. Creek. Um, yeah. 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 No, big, um, big foot fan. The art they display. I don't know who does their art, but the art they display in these documentaries is always fantastic. This one, 
I hope they didn't utilize AI. If they did, it looks really good, but uh, they don't usually. Usually it's just like paintings and drawings and whatnot. But this one, they mocked up these fake uh, game trail camera images where it looks like, you know, someone had like a hunter's game trail camera on a tree and it caught like some movement. And man, the kind of the stuff that they came up with on that is really creepy. If they put one of those things in motion, it would be one of the best looking werewolves in, in a long time. It's good stuff. Interesting. Awesome. Sweet. This, this maybe can I shout out one more thing? Cause this yeah, made me absolutely. think about it in terms of just something so underground, not something I've seen, but something I just found out about yesterday. It's this Nightmare on Elm Street fan film that's coming out. It's called mm. Dylan's New Nightmare. And normally I don't care about fan films. That's not really an interest to me. But it is starring the guy who played Heather Langenkamp's son in New Nightmare. And he's a grown adult now and he's playing the Whoa. same character. Miko Hughes? A, the yeah, kid from Miko Jurassic Hughes. Park? Wait, is it it's Miko the, Hughes? Or? It's, Miko, it's Hughes. Miko Hughes. Oh, the it's kid from Jurassic Park is New Nightmare. Sorry. Yeah. I watched the trailer and it looks like kind of professional and the, they show Freddy Krueger briefly. He looks amazing and he sounds amazing. And you know, like in a time where studios absolutely refuse to give us an official new nightmare in Elm street movie, kind of an interesting alternative that I'm curious about. And it's coming straight to YouTube at some point for free, of course. Um, But I'm interested. That's fascinating. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. How have they not done and Elm Street on Christmas yet. He's got the sweater. A Christmas on Elm Street, man. Yes, it I don't itself. get it. I remember when I saw it in 2017, I was like, oh, it's time for Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street because this this is yeah. kind of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Like, clearly the public is ready and they threw that opportunity away and didn't do it. They talked understand. about the... It was, new, it was New Line. They almost did... Or Warner Brothers. They almost did um, a cameo. A Robert England freddy krueger cameo in the first mm-hmm. hit yeah oh i remember that yeah and they were like no we want to make the themes more universal yeah a little painting monster okay no you should have done robert england cameo come on man that would have been great yeah that would my, cool. my theory is are they just not doing a nightmare on elm street because they're afraid to recast is that it know. because like get over it like just recast it's fine we're talking yeah. to a guy in the biz mitch give us some answers <laughs> <laughs> i don't have any answers on that one but i know i'm i'm ready for it as well like i thought even you know last year's hellraiser felt like a lot a lot of moments in that felt more nightmare to me than even hellraiser um mm. like i would love to see a david bruckner Hel- nightmare on elm street movie that would be fucking awesome um but yeah no i, I mean i'm ready i've definitely gotten past that curmudgeon you know jaded age where I was the remake is fucking terrible because like that Nightmare on Elm Street remake is it it can't get worse than that. (laughs) It truly cannot. No, I don't know. I'm ready for I'm ready for it. But uh, I don't. I Yeah, I have no idea what there's got to be some sort of rights issues. But at the same time, if they're doing a a fan film, I don't know. I have no guesses, but I'm ready for it. I can just imagine Freddy Krueger is like doing little Christmas Carol stuff. Yeah, I don't hate the idea of a Christmas Freddy Krueger movie. So good. Oh no, it'd be awesome. Freddy Krueger yeah, come down the chimney, man. Yes. All right. How about before? Uh, I'm going to knock off one last quick one because I'll, I'll just be quick. Uh, I also watched The Old Dark House from 1932. Oh, right was, on. Yeah, directed by James Whale, the dang lad who directed films like Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, 
uh, starring Boris Karloff, Melvin Douglas, Charles Lawton, Gloria Stewart, who's that uh, the old woman from Titanic. That mm-hmm. was pretty cool to see. <laughs> and star of, well, James Whale, star of the whale. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so well, Brendan Fraser does have that James Whale connection, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, gods and monsters. Synopsis is seeking shelter from a storm. Five travelers are in for a bizarre and terrifying night when they stumble upon the Femme family estate. Daniel Hayden, you guys have both seen this movie, correct? I know you, Cobwebs, you've done an episode on it. Um, I didn't know, but I've, I've no. seen it several times. Yeah. I could have sworn that I heard you talking about this one. I, I'm sure I heard you talk about it. On I was on Hammer Pub talking about the Hammer remake of Old Dark oh, House. Okay. Yeah. That which is very it. bad. Yeah. I've heard that one's not great. Um, yeah. Are you a fan of this one? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's super fun. Not not a haunted house movie. Um, Almost like more of a comedy than a horror movie but it definitely has that horror atmosphere and um i i can't remember the actor's name but the guy who plays dr pretorius and bride of frankenstein is in this yes and he's so fun just all the scenery being chewed by him i just love him in that movie yeah i had to like honestly look it up like when i started it i was like is that like is it meant to be funny and then when i realized it was james whale and everything i'm like you know but a lot of people don't realize like you and bride of frankenstein is funny like Bride of Franken- Frankenstein has some amazing com- comedic moments. Uh, yeah, and Invisible Man too. Oh, totally. Yeah. So I think his stuff is just very much my jam. I did really enjoy the old Dark House, and it is just cool seeing like this has got to be one of the OGs for like this this template that has been you know redone countless oh, yeah. times at this point. Like this has got to be one of the one of the first to do it. You know, even. Even like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre had to have taken some inspiration from the old Dark House. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely I thought it was a lot of fun. I watched that one on Canopy. Um, if anyone get, has the Canopy app, you can just go get a, a library card and the, you can sign up for it for free. There's some amazing classic films on there. Uh, I've seen a lot of really good stuff on there, but wanted to shout out the old Dark House because I'm we're doing I'm doing another episode this week, like the next. Uh, haunted house series we're gonna have our friend cassie ozog on to talk about uh house on haunted hell the original and the re- the 1999 uh dark castle remake oh, oh yeah. doesn't get much better than that double right there <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah i'm uh i'm re-watching the dark castle one tonight after we finish up here so uh but i got plenty of other stuff that i've watched like since i had holidays i was able to finally watch a bunch of stuff so uh, i'll nice. talk about that stuff next week um, but do you guys want to talk about the in, the uninvited and how? No, I'm Let's done. Do it. You're done. No, yeah, yeah. You, no, I want to talk about it. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break here, and we will be back to discuss the uninvited from 1944. See you on the other side. This is the voice of the uninvited. It's coming from downstairs. It comes from everywhere and nowhere. A house of terror on the haunted cliffs of Cornwall, where the uninvited walk unseen by men. Yet a cat arches its back in fright. (coughs) Flowers are withered by the touch of an unseen malignant hand. Candles flicker and die as a ghostly chill fills the air, and the living are clutched by the icy horror of the restless dead. Stop, Pamela. Don't go near that door. The Uninvited, Dorothy McCardle's gripping novel of the supernatural comes to the screen, starring Ray Land, Ruth Hussey, Donald Crisp, 
with Cornelia Otis Skinner and introducing the exciting beauty of Gail Russell, whose first love is shadowed by the specters of the past. Stella, what is it? Are you ill, Stella? Quiet. Leave her alone. Oigon. Oigon. Stop her, Scott. Shh. She's in a trance. I saw this happen once before at a seance. I thought it was a fake. But this isn't. I know. It's dangerous. Please get out of this house now. Now lie there quietly. I'm not afraid of anything here. Then be afraid. Be afraid for heaven's sake. When you were a little child, the evils of this house reached out for you. Stella, go! Go! All right, and welcome to our main feature presentation where we are going to be discussing, first up, The Uninvited from 1944. Uh, so this was a movie directed by Lewis Allen. Um, actually, I think I just want to pass this one off to, I think it was, da- yeah, Daniel, you were the one who chose this one. So we'll get you to give our listeners a bit of a rundown on what The Uninvited is, why you chose to to pick it for this episode. Yeah, well, the Uninvited's from 1944, and it's it's pretty significant in terms of um, haunted house movies. And I think it's kind of fitting that you you're you're kind of starting the series off with it because it's one of the earliest haunted house movies that does not treat ghosts like a joke and doesn't treat it like a Scooby Doo kind of thing. Because prior to this, in kind of most haunted house type movies, there's no actual ghosts. Like even if you look at Old Dark House. Or you look at the cat and the canary, which is another classic story with this kind of a template of the spooky house. There's no actual ghosts. Uh, a lot of times it's like criminals faking it to try to get an inheritance or something like that. And the uninvited is kind of groundbreaking because there's ghosts full on. And you even see ghosts in this movie. Um, but kind of the the basic plot of the movie is it's about Ray Meland and oh, gosh, I didn't look up the actress, but his sister uh, they are visiting the their city people, where they're visiting the the seaside countryside, and they find this big old house, and they kind of fall in love with it right away. They're able to buy it super cheap from the guy who owns it, so now they move in, and they discover the house is kind of haunted. Um, and uh, the guy who sold them the house has a very uh, cute daughter who Ray Milan starts falling for, so you little get a little bit of a romance in there. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what the Uninvited's about. Awesome. Yeah, I know I saw the remake when like it came out when I was working at the video store. I can't remember the remake at all. I was honestly going to maybe try and rewatch it before this, but it's not a remake. There's actually a lot of movies with the title The Uninvited and none okay. of them are related. That one gonna... is a remake of something though. I think it's of a I think it's another Japanese horror. Oh, remake. okay. Yes. I think I think oh, it's yeah, part of that. Like it's Tale of Two Sisters remake, right? Yes. 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 Okay, yeah. that makes so much more sense now. Cause yeah, that 2009, Emily Browning, who she was in like Sucker Punch and a series of unfortunate events. Like I remember like I remember seeing that movie and it really doing nothing for me, but that makes so much sense that this is more of a yeah, it's a tale of two sisters. Okay, that makes yeah, that makes sense. You um, brought that up also Mitch, an and I was 80s like, on an there's also an 80s uninvited like vinegar syndrome put out it's about like a killer cat or something yeah <laughs> also unrelated yeah okay all right so yeah now we're so there isn't a an authentic remake of the uninvited from 1944 yet but if you think about it there's kind of a lot of remakes i guess it's kind of a standard <laughs> yeah. template yeah that's true <laughs> awesome uh so yeah you're obviously you're a big fan of this one daniel 
I am. Yeah. And I, I think I got to credit my buddy, Chris Furtado, who's been on here. I think he's the one who introduced me to it because he's a big Ray Milland fan. So he's seen a lot of his movies. And um, yeah, I just kind of fell for it right away. I remember that when I first saw it. So it's kind of interesting. We're talking about it on here. I thought, I don't know how much I would recommend this to horror fans because it, I think it is an important original text in the horror genre. But it doesn't feel a lot like a horror movie for a lot of it. It has some spooky scenes. You do get to actually see the ghost, which I love. I'm a big fan of actually getting to see ghosts in movies and it not just being an invisible apparition. Um, you get a seance scene, so that's cool. But yeah. a lot of it, it kind of feels like a classic Hollywood romance or romantic comedy. And for me, I love that stuff. So you like you pair that kind of thing with also haunted house movie. That's so up my alley. But it doesn't feel as much like a horror movie as like the universal monsters stuff does for horror fans i don't think no not yeah. until at least like there there's definitely a moment which uh i guess you know full spoilers ahead i don't i don't this is like luckily with like films like this i feel like there isn't a whole lot to to spoil that would destroy your experience of watching the movie for the first time yeah um, but there are some more intense moments that like kind of caught me off guard like specifically uh, when Ray Milan is like, are they doing the? I, I watched this a couple of weeks ago at this point now, but there's like the moment where she runs outside and like is getting ready to eat herself off that cliff. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's like that was actually like kind of a tense moment and yeah, like true. so beautifully photographed. And like you said, the ghosts, the, the photography of the ghosts is one of my favorite parts about this movie. Mm. Um, huge ghost movie, haunted house fan in general. And uh, this one shot up to the top of, it's definitely in my top 10 now. Like I really, really enjoyed The Uninvited. Oh, nice. Um, big, big fan of it. And I know it was a first time watch for you as well, Hayden. So I kind of want to hear, because this seems like also while I was watching it, that it ticks off a lot of boxes for, for yourself as well. Yeah, I had never seen it. I had seen that little Criterion art for it for a long time. Every year that Criterion would have their sale, I'd pick it up and I'd be like, not this time. And I put it back. And then I, I was always thinking eventually next I'd time, buy baby. it. <laughs> next time, baby. <laughs> I'd kiss it. And then next time I'd come around, I'd be like, oh, you got to wait a little bit longer. <laughs> but, but, but I was like, eventually I'll watch this thing. Because that, that art is so striking. Her just like, you know, like she's in Ray Milan's arms in the actual scene. But it's just her floating in the darkness on the on the art. And I'm like. Oh, this looks good. I had never seen it, but um, Daniel was such a huge fan and a fellow podcast co-host regular uh, Preston was also he. I think he's like a huge fan of this, too. So, um, Dan, you specifically recommended this to me. You were like, I feel like this is right up your alley. So I was like, all right. Oh, yeah. And like, I watched if I may say, like the moment I knew it was the last time I rewatched it before this. The opening narration where Ray Milan says something like, um, am, am I am I taking your thunder here? No, go ahead. Okay. He says, like, in this uh seaside town, he says, There aren't more ghosts here than anywhere else. It's just that the folks here are strangely aware of them. I was like, Oh, that is a Hayden line. That's yeah. a very sleepy hollow kind of line. Bro. I knew this would be your thing. The vibes are immaculate. <laughs> like yeah. the, the 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 very beginning. It's like this slow panning shot. You're looking over the coastline, seeing these waves crash. You pan up or you tilt up. Everybody always says pan for everything. 
<laughs> but it's like the cinematography. Tilt, yeah. cinematography. Yeah. The cinematography, the camera does this thing where it looks up. <laughs> no, uh, but but you see the the big old house, these hills, and and the narration, like Dan is saying, is so close to. Oh, there was an air of mystery about everybody. You know, uh, the Sleepy Hollow thing where everybody's fucking walking around. They're like they're like in a dream the whole time. Listen, you can practice cozy as shit. Like it yes. is just cozy as all hell. You can practically hear Bing Crosby being like, bu, 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 bu. you know, it's, it's just like, it's like, take me away, Ray Milland. And so I was only familiar. Look, I, I'm not, I'm not super well versed in older cinema. I've seen what I've seen. I've seen what interests me. I was really only familiar with Ray Milland from Dial M for Murder. I love him in Dial M for Murder. Um, but I never seemed like this uh, younger guy, you know, romantic lead. Uh, he's but, 37 years old. I uh, guess that that is still a younger, younger than Dylan. Okay, good. We're still there. Yeah, hell yeah. I'm a very young guy. Very I just turned 33. Guy. So I'm like, please, 30, got let's make 37 life, young. You know, sort of a guy who's got his whole life ahead of him, you know, no. <laughs> interested in a 20 year old. Yeah. I, I love that part yeah. where his sister keeps referring to her as a child and he goes, she's 20. Stop trying to push her into the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, bro, stop. Okay, like, Leo. Stop bringing. <laughs> he's like, stop bringing it up. But like, so, so, he's kind of doing that narration. And Dan, I was like, oh, oh, baby. And I was in from the beginning. Yeah, no, and like that's why not I know because we're gonna this is about the uninvited. It's not about the innocence, but like the one movie that I really want Hayden to watch is the innocence is for a, a very similar reason. It's the opening the this the wait. song of um beneath the weeping willow. Like just when movies open up, kind of like how Crimson Peak, the last movie that you're on for, it has like one of the most epic modern horror openings ever, and it's ghosts are real this much I know. Like I love that type of like poetry that's in the dialogue of like telling these ghost stories and you know really lulling the audience into feeling like we're we're in for something that isn't of this world and that movie is just seeping throughout every pore of the uninvited and uh, yes. that's why i think it's catapulted to one of my favorite one of my favorite um ghost stories and i think like honestly even the ghost effects look better in this than they do in like a lot of modern ghost movies i love the ghost effects in this movie um and you don't really see it until like the ending but they really make it count i know there's something that hayden and i kind of we we accidentally started talking about the movie even before we hopped on here for the the episode but the one thing that this movie is missing that i feel like movies like the innocence or the haunting have a bit of an edge over it is that this isn't it's not a scary movie and i don't necessarily mean that as like that's not a negative it's just this is a this is still trying to figure out the ghost template and you know it's not like uh even you mentioned house on haunted hill is another one where it's like it's a haunted house movie but that there's technically no actual hauntings happening right Um, and then with this it is just like this is absolutely real ghosts are real in this universe and we're going to show you and it was more so like kind of comforting for me rather than rather than scary and i mean that as a positive there's an element of intrigue about the mystery of just what happened to the mother what happened to the daughter you know there there is Mm -hmm. an element of 
mystery about the story, but I don't even think it and now Daniel correct me, but I feel like the movie isn't even preoccupied with trying to be scary. No. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think Mitch is right when they're, they're trying, they're still like figuring this out. It, a lot of it just doesn't feel like it's really built to be a horror movie. And it's not quite alone in this time period of being like a ghost movie. That's not super horry. Like, um, Oh gosh, what is that movie called? Um, Okay, well, there's this other movie where uh, it's kind of a comedy where Rex Harrison's wife dies and then he remarries, he finds a new woman, but then his wife turns out to be a ghost and she's walking around just talking to them and driving them crazy all the time. And it's kind of a comedy. And so there's mm. there's like a lot of movies like this from that period. Um, I I don't find the innocent scary either. So that doesn't really put the innocent. I'm not a big fan of the innocence. I've only seen it once. It didn't do much for me. Um, I agree. The haunting is definitely scarier than this movie, but my thing with I'm, I like the haunting cause it has some scary stuff in it. I find Eleanor Nell so off putting and annoying and impossible to spend time with. She's the I, do, movie. I struggle with the haunting a little bit. So oh, I know it's watch her weird. fucking mouth. She's not the Bob of them. <laughs> she, she is. Her performance is very annoying. Now it's difficult said, for me. Um, she's, so she's like that in the book. So it's accurate. Yeah. I know it's kind of weird because of the three, this is definitely the least of a classic, but it's my personal favorite of the old black and white ghost movies. Mm-hmm. Well, the romance I love the romance. I love the coziness because I love coziness and horror. Yeah, um, yeah. That's I'm, I'm yeah. a big fan of that. Oh, baby. No, I big agree. time. Yeah. And that, that's the <laughs> thing, too, is, you know, like with uh, with the haunting, like and I know we're not this episode isn't about the haunting, um, but in regard to the difference between that and the uninvited is like the haunting is the first that I can personally pinpoint. And I'm sure like because Daniel, you've seen a far more classic cinema than I have. Um, I'm still very much learning a lot like I have a lot of blind spots but the haunting was the one that really introduced like sound design and using that to scare you and like you know really hearing the voices in the darkness and hearing the cabinets close and like the loud noises and the banging and like all of the like that's just inherently scary and stressful when they're just bombarding you with sounds and that's something that you know some of the best ghost movie modern ghost movies have all borrowed from and i'm sure that there might be something that predates the haunting in 63 uh for doing that but like but the uninvited takes a different approach like it's more so a mystery and you kind of were in 1944 like you got to put yourself in the shoes of people who are going to this everyone wasn't so apt to seeing how someone would just be like oh i want to buy this gorgeous seaside town seaside house in this town and you know it's going to be cheaper because someone died here and it's like there are so many that trope has been so overdone since the uninvited that you got to give it the benefit of the doubt that like Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't you know standard procedure to to just accept that and move into the house if that makes any sense yeah yeah and even where like there might be a lot of tropes you recognize. You might be like, oh, I know where this is going, blah, blah, blah. I just think the dialogue is so entertaining in this movie. It's like so clever, so witty, so snappy. I just find every dialogue scene so much fun. Mm-hmm. And we haven't shouted her out yet, so we got to shout her out. Gail Russell as the daughter of the guy who oh. sold them the house. I still love her 
so much. She is the heart of the movie. She's so effective at doing so. She is so cute and sympathetic. I Spooky love cutie. her and Ray Milland. <laughs> I love her and her and Ray Milland together. Um, she just like lights up this movie. That's, She's the opposite of Nell. That's the your new. <laughs> that's your new name in my phone now, Hayden. Spooky, Spooky cutie. cutie. That's so sorry. <laughs> that fits. That fits. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I, I didn't want to derail that because, like, I know you. You guys might be able to fill our listeners and myself a little bit more too. Is that like so? I don't have the Criterion Collection uh, copy of this. And I know that on that, there's like a document. Hayden, did you watch that documentary? It is essential because, okay, I'm not, I am not in any way going to pretend like I am a, an expert or even well-versed in any of these actors, this time period of film. I'm not super familiar with it outside the universal monster movies and what little that like my mom has showed me in the past and whatnot, but man, the, the video essay on that criterion disc is essential it is i was profoundly moved watching it it's fantastic it's really really good yeah i mean it is this the one it's about her partly her and ray Milland and the movie itself yes but that i would say the gail russell stuff is the most impactful because it goes through her very tragic life um because she just kind of got plucked out of obscurity i think out of high school based on her looks and they just sign her in a contract, start putting her in movies. Um, and I think this was her first movie and she just had no confidence in her ability at all was extremely nervous in front of the camera, never got over that. And it drove her to alcoholism and, uh, and it made her very difficult to work with because she was drunk so much. And also she was nervous so much and she struggled with the whole business and she eventually drank herself to death in like her mid to late thirties. Um, very, very sad. Because like, I don't know, to my eyes, I just wish she had more. I just wish she had more confidence in herself because I think she had every right to be. I think Mm -hmm. she's so great in this movie. And I've seen her in a few other things too. And I always just love her. And it's just so tragic what happened to her. It's so heartbreaking hearing that because there was like a few anecdotes in it. uh, She was like really self-conscious about her, especially her hands. They would apparently always shake. And the video essayist kind of points it out uh, a few times when it happens in the movie. But there was a director who she was working with who would literally tie her hands to her hips so she couldn't move them. And so it made her really, really, you know, extra self-conscious. It fed into her insecurities. And like, like Daniel said, there was moments toward the end of her career and her life where the most she was more known for. Um, these photos taken of her during like a, a DWI arrest and like the aftermath of her crashing into like a restaurant and stuff than she was for the movies that she made. And it's just, man, it's just so heartbreaking. And what I came away from the video essay thinking was like this movie in particular, and this has been said about movies in general, uh, a lot of people, I, I can't remember who I first heard this from, but this is a thing I've heard from a few different people. It's kind of like a philosophy, I guess. It's like when you watch these classic movies, you are kind of watching ghosts because you're watching these people who are all dead in these movies made by people who are all dead, but their images are captured forever. You'll always see them doing the same thing over and over and over again every time you see them. And it's kind of haunting because you're watching these memories and these like things captured in celluloid that will live forever long past them. 
just you know you kind of get this feeling of like wayward souls watching movies like this and uh there was just as much about ray Milland, if not more apparently his career after this was kind of sad where um he he had i guess gotten in sort of a rut where he felt like he wasn't doing a lot of acting he was kind of just going through the motions in this movie as well and the next big movie he did was the last weekend or was it the lost week the long no that was lost like the mid 50s i think right that's another big chris Hurtado movie i haven't seen it so he keeps trying to get me to watch it i need to i've never seen it but it's about an alcoholic and so ray Milland was like well i know it's 1946 my bad okay gotcha well he's like i've got to do some acting for this and so i kind of woke him up and the quote that stuck with me was he he had said in an interview he was like life didn't feel joyous anymore after doing that because it's such a dark it's such dark subject matter so he kind of other than doing like dialing for murder and some other movies like uh, occasionally that were bigger he mostly did a lot of like b-movie schlock he started doing roger corman stuff mm-hmm. yeah. which i want to see the man with re- x-ray eyes I've yeah i've always meant to it. it sounds really interesting yeah but it it just struck me as so sad because it's like here's this little movie that by all accounts at least from what i've seen in the video essay no one had a bad time making it's kind of like a fun little lark not particularly scary not that dark i mean kind of dark subject matter but nothing like you know brutal alcoholism like no uh, being the, the darkness of the uninvited is all like implied right and that's and what so, some of the guest best ghost stories do as well yeah they tell the story and they paint it for you you can paint it in your own head right it's just like it it filled me with this like overwhelming just kind of feeling of like you never really are sure what your happiest moments are going to be till they're already gone it's just the way memory works it's like a very sad but Fuck. you know, m- melancholic part so of like being a human. I know, but you know, life goes on. You're gonna have happy moments again. It's yeah. like never the last one till you, you know, you die the next day or something. But like, but like, but you know, it's a little morbid, I guess, to talk about that. And but, then you become well, a ghost, and maybe you'll have some happy times as a ghost. Oh yeah, yeah. Casper. We've had seen fun. Casper, yeah. Oh, he's absolutely. Got, he's got a little round little body. Why does he look like that? He's trying to keep that girl. She's in my bed. <laughs> I love Casper so much. It's great. I, the fir- my I loved Casper, still love Casper, but my sister always told me, "Oh, I have such a cu- crush on Casper. I have such a crush on Casper." Oh, I never knew too. until the yeah. huh? My wife too. She was all about Devin Sawa. Well, I days. never knew she meant Devin Sawa. Oh yeah, yeah. You thought she was into the little white, little the little mom. lumpy, the little lumpy <laughs> little booty ghost like running around. I was like, what the? Oh, oh he's looking good. <laughs> Look at that little guy. He's so hot. <laughs> scamp. This is the ideal male oh, body. The funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> you may not like it, but this is peak performance. This is peak performance. The, that's the one of my favorite tweets ghost. of all time. Was Daniel posting that? And it was the headless horseman, <laughs> Tim Burton. Oh yeah. <laughs> you may not like it, but this is what male peak male performance looks like <laughs> decapitated man no i just want to quickly i know the listeners couldn't see it but you guys said like i burst out laughing when you, you uh you mentioned that like everyone in the movie is dead so it is kind of like watching like there there is like an air 
but the re- yeah the reason i left is because like i think when we did our oldest movie i think dracula is the oldest movie we did on the terror table it's pretty old <laughs> and the very first thing that boozy said was how about all these people are dead <laughs> it's like, what an observation <laughs> it's a little weird it's a little weird that's, that's why i started laughing and then i immediately felt bad because you like had a very poignant comment um but no yeah it, it's it's uh i i feel like i need to buy that criterion uh to of the uninvited because i love the movie so much and i want to see those those featurettes uh because yeah it, it does sound extremely tragic it looks like yeah she died when she's 36 years old yeah. that's really sad another thing that stuck with me i want to get y'all's thought on this the video essay is described ray Milland as both bland and uncanny they said that like he's like one of those faceless figures because he's so <laughs> generic i don't know i kind of get what he's saying because he does have he looks like an old painting, like not a Magritte painting. I think like that guy was trying to say, but he does kind of like, there is kind of an uncanniness about him. He looks like he's a leading a bit, man, but like could almost he's be kind any- of a little bit of a spooky look to him. There's this one great Ray Malay movie called alias Nick Beal. It's mostly a noir, but I would recommend it to horror fans because it's about this um, rising politician and this mysterious guy played by Ray Milan comes in his life and starts guiding him to darker and darker paths. And the movie more than implies he's actually the devil. So mm. it's devil Ray Milan and it's pretty Ooh. cool. It's really good. Evil Ray Milan be like, you know those memes? <laughs> I don't know this one. Oh my God. I'll have to send them to you later. <laughs> when that when that guy said that, it reminded me of when Norm MacDonald was doing his Albert Fish bit and he was like, they described him as both gray in appearance and demeanor. I just saw Dirty Work with Norm Macdonald. I, I saw that. i laughing. Oh, my God. I used to love that movie so much. He's the fucking best. I love yeah. Norm Bob, Bob Saget directed <laughs> Dirty Work. Oh, man. Classic. Um, but so yeah, good. The Uninvited is an absolute classic. Uh, mm-hmm. I highly recommend anyone listening to this to check it For out. Sure. This would be a great one to throw on your Halloween list. Another good quote from the movie itself. The dinner will be late, sir. It's the lamb being awkward. <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> the lamb is bit the, the lamb's being too awkward. I can't cook it. You know, all of us are that lamb sometimes. It's true. Well, every day of my life. <laughs> guilty as guilty as charged. How'd y'all feel about the little goofy scene? I know Dan likes it. The little scene of them sailing. And he's like, he's like, oh, I never get sick. Hard cut to. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's I love charming. It. It's so good. Super cute. It's yeah. so cute. My mom. Here, here's the most ringing endorsement I could ever give this. My mom would love this movie. Would, nice. would love it or does love it? She would. She hasn't seen it yet. But she okay. can't watch. She can't watch scary movies like she used to. She gets too scared. But my mom would love this movie. And that's not a negative. Yeah. Mom movie confirmed movie no, is that, charming as hell that's the thing though man like i i don't know how to explain this because there is no way to properly explain it but like you know i was watching child's play i was watching jaws john carpenter's vampires all these movies when i was like seven years old but it was the black like the haunting scared the shit out of me when i saw it as a kid uh because it, it was, was on turner classic it was on turner classic movies when the liam neeson haunting remake was coming out and uh, oh, yeah. I remember I was like working myself up to to tackle that movie, and uh, it's a it's a bad one. 
Um, I don't think it's like it's been a while since I've seen it, but I don't think it's as bad as everyone says it is. Uh, but it wasn't great. I don't know. I'm not going to die on that hill. But that the, movie, the original, the black and white haunting scared the shit out of me. And like clip clips from the Wolfman. But that was like the first universal monster movie I ever saw. And it scared the living shit out of me. And the I thing that scared me more than anything else when I was a kid was the original The Fly. And oh, that man. movie. Scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Still was scary. It, was it the help me? Yeah. Like, yeah, oh man, traumatized, traumatized me yeah. as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> creepiest it's, thing ever. It's creepy and so sad. Yeah. Oh, it's and like you, the most depressing thing I've ever seen. And if you want to hear more <laughs> The Fly talk, I was on Cobwebs with uh, Chris, Chris Hurtado and Daniel Epler talking about the original The Fly. Heck yeah, great, that was a fun movie. series. Yeah, Y'all made fun. me, that series made me pick up that box set and watch all of them. Good. <laughs> Hey, fun. That box, the flies yeah. are good. Yeah. They the are. Fly, it's a great franchise. Dude, the fly too is so much fun. Oh, uh, so when the guy pulls his face off, that's like one of my favorite shots in any movie. Yeah. I, I love that the plot of that is some gangsters being like, let's throw these bodies in the fucking fly machine. <laughs> I love the end when the guy gets like merged with the dog or something and he's like the, the old creepy CEO and he's got like the most depressing ending like any corporate villain has ever gotten any movie. Classic. Oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so that was the uninvited. Any final last words before we move on to our other pick of the week? No, yeah, it's good stuff. I think more people should watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Agreed. I think it's funny that a big plot point in the movie is he's like, "Okay, okay, lady, choose me or your dead mom." <laughs> I, I know. Like I just met father- you. No, father is telling her no you can't hang out with this guy and she just goes no i'm going to sorry mm-hmm. and that's how the conversation goes hell yeah awesome oh, now me. let's chat about house by the please, cemetery you please answer me please in this house what you don't know will hurt you It was to be a getaway dream. It's becoming a runaway nightmare. Do you see anything? Some old steps going down. He has been awaiting the arrival of his new guests. One by one, they are disappearing. One by bloody one. No! 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 When you move to this house, before you get locked in, read the fine print. Mommy, hurry! You may have just mortgaged your life. Due to the graphic nature of this film, no one under 18 will be admitted. House by the cemetery. I gotta tell you, this is watching these movies back to back. What Wild. a perfect pairing. <laughs> <laughs> and by perfect, I mean, holy fuck, do we have complete opposite ends of the spectrum here. So that's why I've been really looking forward to this episode. So I know. 
Uh, this was a first time watch for me as well. Uh, Daniel had even pointed out this is officially the terror table uh, popping our Lucio Fulci cherry. And uh, this is what I mainly knew about it before going into this is that this is one part of the Gates of Hell trilogy, which consists yeah. of the City of the Living Dead, the Beyond, which is probably my favorite Lucio Fulci movie, um, and the House by the Cemetery. So it is also just absolutely batshit cra- crazy thinking how Lucio Fulci released this, the Black Cat, and the Beyond all in 1981. That is an King absurd shit. run. That is crazy. That's crazy. But I think this one was your pick, was it not, Hayden? Oh, for sure. So I love Dario Argento. Dario Argento. Don't get me wrong. I love Dario. Love me some Dario Dario. But I think in the last few years, I've I've come around to like, I'd seen Lucio Fulci around the same time as I was digging into Argento. And I... I was like, ah, this is kind of like trashy. This is more trashy Italian. You know, uh, Dario is much uh, classier, but I don't know, man. In the last few years, I've definitely been coming around more on Fulci. I think I may like him a little bit more. And while the highs of the beyond are so high for me, they're, they're great. It's always a toss up for me for my favorite between this and city of the living dead. I love those two movies so much because they're uh, they're a little more for me they're a little more consistent in their strangeness like i'm i'm more often going like what the hell is going on where whereas the beyond i'm a little sleepy for the for the first half of it until like you know the it starts popping off um but i mean they've all got such a great vibe yeah i mean cool. like the beyond is like i feel like it's the most it's still absolutely fucking crazy Yes. But it's the most like streamlined, if that makes any sense, compared to the House by the Cemetery or even the City of the Living Dead. Right. But, I think it moves really well. I, I think the pacing is pretty great with the Beyond. Yeah. Like it yeah. never bores me. No. And and honestly, just get it right out of the way. The House by the Cemetery never bored me either. But oh, this is such a ridiculous move. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. The craziest, and I'll say Haunted House movie I think I've ever seen. It's okay. I want to know though, is this a haunted house movie? I think it is. I think I the think ending it confirms it's haunted house. So, is he did I miss? Did I miss it? Isn't he mutated? Well, fi, uh, Freudstein I is like a, a weird, he's like, yeah, he's like a weird revenge zombie ghost. However, the the children are, are for sure our ghosts, revenge zombie ghost. Yeah, <laughs> revenge <laughs> zombie ghost is not a genre. He's a revenant. He's Leonardo. He's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Oh, I just I love that we go from like the subtlety and the beauty of the ghost story of the uninvited to a literal <laughs> fucking knife through the head. There's <laughs> beauty in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there's beauty. The violence is absolutely gorgeous in this movie. Like, but this is like one of like yeah, Fulci's just absolutely a gorehound, and the shit is so uncomfortable to freak, sit through dude. but it's so much fun yeah he is a little freak <laughs> he's a little fucking freak dude speaking of little fucking freaks bob oh no bob. I, <laughs> the, <laughs> bob possibly the most annoying like that kid is like if nails on a chalkboard were manifested into like a human the way mannequins can be mm-hmm. according to this movie Bob, everything about him, his little haircut, his little face, 
his little dubbed voice. His little I, dub, I was going to say. I hate We're going to judge Bob. him on a dub. <laughs> I hate Bob, but I love Bob because you. this yeah. movie would not be the same. You will never forget Bob. No. <laughs> it, was especially, it was especially scary for me because I just recently had a little son and, uh, and now I'm scared he's going to grow up to be Bob. And, uh, <laughs> That'd be such a horrible thing. Do you guys have to... a favorite? Do you guys have a favorite Bob moment? Because I have to shout out mine. It's when uh, the dad's like, oh, we got to get to our new house or we're going to have to sleep in tents. And he goes, oh, shh. <laughs> it's the best. My favorite, least favorite moment is at the end when he lets it all out. He goes, ah! and he just screams so loud. And it's. <laughs> Can you imagine how I... fucked up this kid would be? Like, oh, all grown up after all this, though. It's like, this has got to be some of the most. This is like some of the most trauma I've ever seen a kid be inflicted with in a movie. Every single moment, every single, the dad is getting not on by a bat. We, we got to talk about every single thing in this movie. Hayden, well, we got to, we got to bring it back for a second. Can you tell our listeners what House by the Cemetery is about? It is about, it's about a house. It's by, it's about a cemetery. Okay. Mm Now, now you got to listen real closely. It's about a guy who looks like Eric Clapton and he has a wife and a son and they, he's like a researcher or a writer and he is going to investigate a place where a man killed his family in this house, I think. And they move in and look, Mitch, here's the, here's the thing. Okay. (laughs) When it comes to, Okay. When it comes to Italian horror, a big reason why I like it is because Italian horror and David Lynch, two things that I still love them to death, mm-hmm. but for lack of a better word, I will say I went through a phase where they were like my favorite kinds of movies ever. Yeah. And while I still love them to death, David Lynch, definitely still one of my favorite directors, Italian horror, definitely one of my favorite kinds of horror at that time, it was like all I wanted from movies. And I think it's because it unlocked in me a new way to watch movies where I was like, okay, I can just vibe. Yes. To quote in it, I don't have to think about it. I can just feel it. And so, so I cannot tell you what this movie is about literally, but it's about really scary and strange stuff. I entirely get that and agree and is a big reason why I enjoyed this movie so much is like, you know, even I think for me where that side of me started coming in was when I saw under the skin for the first time, uh, which is a movie I'm like, you know, most people can say like, what, what's it about? It really is just a vibe. And uh, that was like, I saw that before I really started getting into Italian horror and what I learned really fast is the more you try and justify or explain Italian horror, the less you're going to have fun with it and enjoy it for what it is. Right. And I do like that we can just watch something that's just crazy. Uh, but I feel like House by the Cemetery, it's like, it's not even like surreal in any sense. It's just bonkers. It's just it's, all over the place. It's crazy. It's, and yeah. it's glorious for those reasons. But it's also funny because in Fulci's filmography and especially in the Gates of Hell trilogy, this is one of the most normal movies Fulci made. (laughs) Like of the Gates of Hell trilogy, by far, it has the most conventional, followable plot 
yeah. by far. So when I watch it like context of Fulci, if it wasn't for Bob, it would pretty much feel like a normal movie, <laughs> at least by Fulci standards. But it's really Bob that sends it into the insanity stratosphere, I think. What a guy. What a I think guy. if they a could ever guy. find the person, have no idea what gender it would be, but the person who voices Bob, like that person would be the greatest convention guest ever. Like everyone mm-hmm. would want to meet the Bob voice, but I have the no voice. idea who did it. <laughs> That's true. You'd never know if they're going to get bullied, though, like the kid who played Anakin Skywalker. Because, like, I not know by lo- now. I think by now horror fans would go nuts for the Bob actor. Yeah, I would hope we so. love Bob. We yeah, love there, voice of Bob. There's a lot of voice of Bob hatred online that I. Oh, okay, I'm certain. Not in my circles. No, but it, the thing is, like, it's something you hate, but you're like, I love, I love, I love the voice of Bob because it's so integral to the movie it wouldn't be the same movie with a different with a no. more normal voice yeah like i don't even i don't want to watch the original version i want to watch it with the dub and like that's you know some people yeah. would cringe at me saying that but even like with argento stuff like i kind of like like the dubs kind of play into the aesthetic and the the appeal yeah. of Strangeness. italian horror for me yeah But also with this movie and all the Gates of Hell movies and also Zombie, there is no original Italian version because like a lot of these main actors are English speaking. For sure, the mom, she's in all the Gates of Hell movies. She's an English speaking actor. So they just used a variety of languages and then they would just dub multiple different versions. So there really is no pure version of these. They're all a bunch of weird hodgepodge dubs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I even saw that bob is dubbed in the italian version as well it's not like the the actor never did the voice there's two yeah that's how it bobs. is with these movies no i also we got to show no bobs the score. like i love the score in this movie so good yeah, yeah. this is one by walter Rizzotti. i looked it up afterwards because i was like this is going to be something that i'm gonna have playing on playing in my house during the halloween season because like you you just know when you hear a when you hear a true bop on a soundtrack and this thing's full of them oh bop yeah this thing's yeah not not yeah. bob a bop bop <laughs> <laughs> no this movie's unbelievably deranged and uh i just love that like i said once again going from the subtlety of the uninvited to the the brutal decapitations the stabbings the knife through the head and through the mouth and then all of the like implied brutalities that happen throughout this movie it really makes it stand out as a very unique haunted house movie. Yeah. I well, I love haunted house movies, but like so many of them, especially in the last like 20 years, it's like a door will creak a, a, a picture will go, you know, like it's mm-hmm. like little subtle stuff until the last like 10 minutes or something that gets kind of crazy. This is like the floor is flooding. Like blood is coming up through the floor. Uh, there's like a, a a revenant in the basement. There's a bob. There's like a bat that comes out of nowhere and starts gnawing on everybody. And I love I love fake is, movie bats. Is yeah is is there a reasoning behind the bat, or is it just that it's an old creepy house and it's something? It's like an an agent for gore. Because like well, he starts stabbing it and it's brutal. I was going to say this kind of points to another this this movie is another end of the haunted house spectrum that I love where the uninvited is more the subtle version. But another thing I love about haunted house movies is there's really no rules to a haunted house. It can be anything. Mm -hmm. And I like haunted house movies that 
capitalize on that. And this is one of those movies. House uh, is another one um, from the 80s. Amityville 2, The Possession is another one. These movies that are just like, well, because it's a haunted house, it's just supernatural bullshit. So anything can happen. Yeah. And I really like that because I'm like Hayden. I'm not a big fan of the creaking door, paranormal activity kind of thing. I like to see stuff in horror movies. I'm a monster kid. I like to see monsters. And I like haunted house movies like show me ghosts, show me weird shit. And this movie really gives you that. And those other movies I mentioned really do too. That's Mm -hmm. to, to that point. I've mentioned this on a few different podcasts I've been on. I, and I think it goes to my love of Italian horror. What scares me is when there's not any rules. Like I, I like, I like some rules in horror. I like, Oh, this monster can only be killed this specific way. That's fun. That's fun. But to me, horror is scariest whenever you're just, you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how I could fight to fight this, defend myself or anything. I feel like I'm a kid again and I'm, this is all very strange. And so like, I love the way that Lucio Fulci is like, here's how, here's how I see a haunted house. And yeah. It's just the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. I think that's what I like about his haunted house iteration so much is that Bob is always in peril, like true <laughs> peril. I love that Bob is always in peril. Well, like, especially the last like half hour of this movie. It's like, oh my God, is this kid going to it's be the, the passion most- of the Bob? Yeah. He is the most mangled, like emotionally mangled human being. Ever, well, I, I <laughs> even like his s- father keeps almost axing him in the head. <laughs> it's, so many times. it's that because my favorite thing Fulci ever did in any like any scene from any of his movies. My favorite thing is in City of the Living Dead when Christopher George is pickaxing that lady out of the coffin. It's so intense. So and you're like, good. oh my god, he's about to kill her. And I always forget there's a mini version of that in this movie when Eric Clapton is trying to like hatchet like the door so you can grab bob but dr freudstein's like holding bob's head against the door and for some reason bob's not like my head's against the door don't don't hit it daddy you know i know i love his oddly specific and yell yeah (laughs) his oddly specific screaming and yelling is is so tremendous in this movie i was gonna say this earlier uh but i i love how every like what mitch was saying everything is there to traumatize bob like um like whenever it's not enough that the bat is eating the dad's hand the dad runs upstairs and it is like right in front of bob whenever he starts stabbing the bat and then he's like swinging around and the bat blood and his blood is spraying all over bob in his little sweater it's so good yeah it is it is madness um but yeah that is the charm of italian horror and yeah i don't know i just i really really enjoyed this one this was the a first time watch for me so i really appreciate you guys coming up with these these great doubles if you know the funny thing is i love this movie loved it for a long time i think it is my least favorite of the gates of hell trilogy but the whole gates of hell trilogy is my top tier of fulci so like this Mm. would be like my third favorite fulci movie um but i would go city of the living dead and then I go the beyond and then I go this. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's that the other two are weirder because this is a weird bonkers movie, but by the standards of this trilogy, it's the most <laughs> normal. Right. Um, 
but uh but i love the atmosphere of it just like with the last movie uh, a lot of the outdoor stuff was filmed in massachusetts and it has that great like stephen king new england atmosphere to it i love all that so much oh, yeah. yeah it takes place in new whitby daniel and the mom's name is lucy so kind of like dracula i forgot about whitby new whitby and dracula you have to yeah. remind me. Well, uh, Whitby Abbey is uh, is is in Dracula, and they oh, made okay. up they made up the little town for this. And he was just like, "Oh, Whitby, oh, cool." Uh, New, you know, New England has that problem of just like, ah, let's just take that. Remember that place we ran away from? Let's take that town and just put New in front of it. Yeah, yeah. why not? <laughs> I, I know like- Fulci said this was his homage to Lovecraft, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't catch the Dracula it's stuff. Got a bunch of stuff. It's like Lovecraft. Uh, he he makes up that quote by Henry James at the end. Speaking of the innocence. Oh, man. Was I ever going to bring that up? Because we have to discuss the quote <laughs> at the end. How do you feel about that as a new dad? The Henry James quote that comes up at the end is, no one will ever know whether children are monsters or monsters are children. Oh, which Fulci made up is not which a Henry is, James quote. <laughs> which is just complete bullshit. It's like, doesn't even sound like something that Henry doesn't James mean ever... anything. <laughs> no one will, Daniel, no one will ever know. No one will <laughs> know. But like the children are not the monsters in this movie. This is not Village of the Dam. No. Like, what this, is he talking about? I think he's saying Bob is a monster. Bob is the real monster here. It's like he heard the dub for Bob and he was like, ooh, Holy I'm going to put this quote at the <laughs> end. I'm going to pretend like I meant to do this. Well, and the little girl is creepy. I think the okay. So, I have some questions. I know, like Mitch, you said we're if you're trying to examine this movie, you're kind of missing the point of it, right? You're not really supposed to like figure everything out. But do y'all think in y'all's hand in y'all's head cannon is the manic? Does the mannequin become the babysitter, or? Is the mannequin just the little psychic girl seeing what's going to happen to the babysitter? <laughs> I don't think there is an answer to this, but yeah, it is an interesting I question. I prefer I, to think that the mannequin just becomes a person because it's way stranger. I dig it. You know, but it's kind of like, you know, mannequin or mannequin two on the move. Mm-hmm. Don't they decapitate? Don't they decapitate the mannequin <laughs> the, cap- the mannequin just head just falls off or no bob isn't looking at the it. girl the ghost girl is so the whole yeah. movie you're thinking the girl is a psychic but the end reveals the girl was a ghost the whole time yes. she was like the daughter of freudstein or something like that mm-hmm. she was dead the whole time she's the original yeah. bruce willis yeah oh, yeah this movie's so good whenever i so good. whenever i watch a fulci movie like this I always think of, uh, I had a friend, she was one of my best friends in high school. She passed away, but we loved watching at the time what we thought were very obscure horror movies. So um, every year I will watch like a Fulci movie and I always think back, I was like, man, this is exactly the kind of shit we would we would have watched like at like three in the morning and stuff so like yeah. i i don't know why i i always tie we never watched a fulci movie together but like i always tie this movie and city of the living dead and the beyond especially those three to to uh to my memories of her good stuff that's awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah these yeah. these movies i mean people can call them trashy schlock blah blah all they want these movies are beautiful 
They mm-hmm. look so good. Like, I mm-hmm. really just think they're gorgeous. I think Fulci doesn't get enough credit for the technical director he is because he is a little he is a little weirdo and he makes weird movies and puts in a lot of gross stuff. But man, they look so good. Well, and Love I them. do think that especially these three, the Gates of Hell, they are infused with a kind of like ble- bleakness. And like, just say like sadness in their worldview. And I did nihilism. read that apparently. And grimy, grimy nihilistic. Yeah. And gr- oh, grime. Yes, the nihilism. I had read that like he made House by the Cemetery is like the last one. And it was at the end of the decade where like his wife and daughter died. So he was going through severe depression when he was making these movies. I think you can kind of feel that as fun as they are, as bonkers as they are you can kind of feel that to them where it's just like, there's a hopelessness to them that really is like haunting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Y'all think really these, savage. They are savage. Do y'all think these movies are scary? I mean, um, if, if I would have seen this when I was younger, this would petrify me, man. That decapitation is so gnarly. Yeah. I think so. They don't scare me in like, I don't know the traditional sense, but they go, so hard with the horror elements that I I think you can't help but feel uncomfortable. So if you want to call that like an element of being scared, like I think like the quintessential kill scene of this movie is the realtor woman. And it is so like otherworldly level of brutal that that's kind of a, a, a that's kind of a um a form of being scared by a movie. Is that the neck like the mm-hmm. Where they're yeah, gashing her neck open for like five minutes. He's stabbing her. He stabs yeah. her over and yeah, over. Yeah, it feels like many, it goes on times. forever. Yeah. And yeah. then you yeah. see like her, the, it's like a geyser of blood shooting out of her neck. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not even like, you know, I always say that, that I'm not like a gore hound. I think I am. Cause like, I love shit like this. I like, am a gore hound, honestly. Yeah. It, I think it's because we think like, even, you know, for years, like I've been doing the terror table almost seven years and I always shit on hostile. And then yeah. I watched that when I was in uh, quarantine and I was like, oh my God, this movie's so much fun. <laughs> like, it's yeah, ridiculous. You see it. I haven't seen hostile. It's like, you know, it, I have no idea how you'll react to it, but I remember I hated it. And I was always like, yeah, I just don't like gore for the sake of gore. But really, I, I'm a makeup effects guy. Like, I just love yeah. seeing what people can create with their hands and like what they can, especially the more over the top, the better. And Fulci stuff is so good for that. Specifically, like zombies, like the most popular one, I think. Oh man, yeah. And some of the shit that you see in that, you will never unsee. Right. It's weird how I feel like for so long we horror fans felt so much pressure to say, "I don't like gore for the sake yeah. of gore." It's like you had to say that to be socially acceptable and to mm-hmm. be a horror fan. Mm-hmm. I feel like Terrifier Two closed oh my the God. book on that because, yeah. like, after that movie, I. There's no way I can ever say I'm not a gore hound <laughs> and I know because hey, I yeah, love that movie yeah, and like hey, hey, do I love like it in us. spite of the gore? No, I no, love I it love for the gore. the gore. Yeah, yeah. Salt like in the, the wound, baby. <laughs> I, uh, I don't. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I I love Different the artistry strokes. of gore. I kind of am a gore hound, but I really don't like torturey kind of stuff. And I, I agree. Know. When it's too realistic, I don't. But I love. Like I love eighties gore yeah. so much, and Terrifier Two is very much eighties gore. I think. Yeah, I don't Terrifier want to take two... us off on a tangent here, but we already know you're not a fan of Terrifier Two. But let, let's just... take 
Let's yeah, talk okay, about something yeah. that I actually don't know about both of you guys, though. Like, so the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, the the two thousand three one. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys like that one? I hate it. Oh, really? I hate it with like every bone in my body, which is weird because like everybody loves that movie now. It's yeah, I so I love popular. it, but, but that's a prime example of like the violence is really ugly in that movie. Like, it's really I, really ugly. I thought I I really thought I hated it for the longest time. Especially because I was like, I couldn't get over like the the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre is so dry. You feel thirsty while you're watching it. And you're like, oh, God, so dirty, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then like the the like thematic aesthetic of the remake was like, it's all wet. It's sweaty. <laughs> yeah. It's sweaty. <laughs> There's okay. like water in the basement. But yeah. I rewatched it. Dude, pretty good. It's a great movie. I love it. good. That movie. But it is like, like that's a prime example of though, like where there's like the one guy gets his leg cut off and then he yeah. grabs a handful of salt and puts it on his leg. And it's like, oh, my God, like that. That's like so cringy. That's completely different. That's a completely different type of violence than what we're seeing in House by the Cemetery or Terrifier 2 or like where it's kind of cartoony and over the top. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It's like it's it's so well, I think the big difference for me is with house by the cemetery and stuff like that it's so dreamlike it's like a nightmare version it's like in your in your nightmares if you ever like have nightmares where people die or get killed they're like horrifying and they are drawn out and they're very surreal and then like that period of the 2000s was so realistic and like mm-hmm. just wallowing in like people's misery that it was very uncomfortable yeah it's yeah. an ugly, yeah. it's an ug- ugly type of horror yeah. For me, like the Texas Chainsaw remake is I found it like the one of the most unpleasant things I've ever seen to where I was like miserable watching it. Mm-hmm. So people could totally say like, well, that means it's effective. But for me, like, it doesn't even matter because I'm like, well, I was just miserable watching that movie. Yeah. and I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Yeah. yeah, no, I get that. But what I will say about this one, and this will be like some of my closing thoughts on House by the Cemetery is I know that House by the Cemetery predates this movie. But I think a perfect double feature with House by the Cemetery would be Wes Craven's People Under the Stairs. Oh, oh yeah. heck yeah. Oh, that movie is like a masterpiece. It, and it's got Love similar that. it's got similar energy and tones and like even some themes. Like I know like I'm still not completely sold on if Freudenstein's a a, a ghost. <laughs> but even if even if they're not, it's just like it's a terrifying concept oh, that sure. these things are just like living within the house. Oh yeah. It it would also be a good double feature because House by the Cemetery is all like weird and dreamlike. And mm-hmm. then people under the stairs, it's like a great pop movie, you know, like yeah. anybody could get into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, I this was an awesome double. Uh so I definitely appreciate you guys coming on for this. Is there anything else that you guys want to touch on before we close up shop tonight? I, I have to it. shout out my my favorite favorite line reading from this movie, and it's not even Bob. It's such a weird <laughs> little thing, but it cracks me up every time. And it's when they want to move out of the house and they're talking to a male realtor and he says like, do you think it'll take a long time to find a new house? And the guy says, it's hard to say, but I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know why I die laughing every time. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't have anything else to say about house by the cemetery other than to sing its praises, but I did wonder this may take too much time. So you may just want to cut this out. Maybe. <laughs> I was just going to ask, because Mitch prompted me a few days ago, did y'all have a top 10 ghost movies? 
That is not what I thought you were going to ask. There is a question that I am shocked you have not asked yet. Oh, what? Circumcised. I thought you were going to ask us if we believe in ghosts. Oh, I feel like I already asked you. I know you. You've asked me, yeah, but you never. I, asked and Mitch. me, me I and Mitch, for sure, you would bring divorce. It up. Well, we we talked about it on the Crimson Peak episode. But we oh, my bad. Okay, that explains it. Dan, yeah. you're you're skeptic. Yes, Mitch, you're skeptic. Mm-hmm. I am. I want to believe so bad. Yeah, don't want to be. Yeah, I'm like a skeptic on the surface, but if you scratch me, you'll find a believer. Well, here's one thing that like. On one hand, it'd be like, ooh, it's cool if there are ghosts because it brings like horror movies to life and like that's fun. But oh, yeah. that would also be horrible to find out because I do not want to be a ghost and no, I do I not want to think ghost. that any loved ones are yeah. ghosts because being a ghost sounds awful. <laughs> I don't I, yeah, that. you just watch your loved ones jerk it. I have that. Stu- <laughs> <laughs> you just watch your loved ones jerk it. I have this st- really stupid stupid embarrassing kind of way of looking at ghosts where like i do i'm not totally new agey i don't really i don't know how much i believe in like energy and stuff but i do think that there is some kind of uh, i do believe that there is some kind of residual energy that can be left and i feel like what most people feel or see when they see a ghost or feel like they've seen a ghost is like i feel it here the place i'm currently residing for the next day before I move is the house where like my, my grandparents lived and my dad grew up a lot of memories here. Like mm-hmm. I used to come here all the time as a kid, they lived here their whole lives. They died in here. And there are moments where there are like things I can't exactly explain. And I really think it might just be memories kind of happening in front of your eyes and stuff. I think yeah. that happens to a lot of people and they could read that as ghosts and I don't necessarily see that as like any less, any kind of less supernatural than like if there was a a, a white sheeted, well, okay, we're in the South. I shouldn't say that. A, a, a transparent person, <laughs> transparent little Casper with a little butt, like full, like run around here, little big belly Dude, boy. Casper's looking good. These fuckers ever burst out of the walls. <laughs> Fuckers ever fall out of the ceiling? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> but do do y'all know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, well, yeah. No. for sure. And I I find like the idea of people truly believing goes so interesting because I was reading this book where the author was interviewing a bunch of actual current professional ghost hunters, and it's so interesting li- reading them talk about it because they're like so serious about it, so straight face, so like yeah. matter of fact, mm-hmm. and like I think that's fascinating, and like. I almost want to believe in that. I kind of more want to believe in like witchcraft and witchy stuff. I think that's Hell also yeah. so mm-hmm. interesting. And I think it's fascinating that Damn, there are just people believe in right it. now who believe they're witches. Yeah, it's fun. I don't know. I'm just to quote the I movie think... of a uh, movie of the year. I don't believe in magic, but I've seen some things. Oh, the film of the year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have uh, to trigger Daniel there real quick. That was a <laughs> that was a Indiana Jones and the Pick of Destiny. I, the nursing home of destiny. It's the pick. I do think it's funny how those ghost hunter shows, they'll show up to like a you know supposedly haunted place. They'll stay four hours. They won't say anything, and they'll definitively say this shit ain't haunted. I yeah. like when when all the stories you hear about people who say they've experienced something. It's like a place they've lived for like years. They saw it like one time. Like that shit was crazy. I can't explain it. It's like I feel like you can't really show up. 
spend a little time there and then like definitively say yes or no i feel like you gotta sure yeah 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 and i like i, I don't think i would take anyone seriously who doesn't acknowledge the ambiguity of it <laughs> yeah i think you know hayden you asked about other ghost movies i think the number one movie that i watched recently that like almost made me believe in ghosts and like freaked me oh, hell out yes. was ghost watch Oh, oh yeah, baby! Oh yes, my god, dude. that movie scared the hell out Great of me. Great movie! I fucking pipes, dude. Yeah, pipes. That's, oh, that's in my. That's Holy it. Like shit. I wrote down. I have like a top eight because in the thing is when I put eight, like I can't. I can't even narrow down. Like get, right ghost movies like there's so many that i love but to shout out ones like ghost watch is a great one to shout out because that's one that a lot of people still haven't seen um that's something that's kind of just picking up steam now again uh you can now get buy it on blu-ray you can get it on amazon so like that's a great movie but one uh like everyone knows i'm a huge del toro fan but the devil's backbone is like yes. one of my favorite ghost movies ever it's just such a beautiful movie to begin with but the the ghost all of the ghost material in it is just so, so wonderful. I, lo I love that movie. Mm -hmm. Del Toro adjacent. I love the orphanage. So the orphanage much. is so good. That's one of my top favorites. Yeah. Orphanage that is genuinely good. scary. That also really too. scared me. Yeah. Little sackhead kid. Freaky. It's interesting how ghosts by far had the highest chance of scaring me in a movie than anything else. Like I'm never really going to be scared by a vampire, a werewolf, really even like a slasher killer. Like it's, it's true. really just ghosts that get yeah. to me like that. I feel Not like even exorcism stuff gets to me like that. I mm -hmm. think you said it, Daniel. It's the ambiguity. It's like you can look. No one really. Okay, I shouldn't say nobody. I feel like a lot of people don't believe in ghosts, and then one day they could become a believer, and the only way they do that is if a ghost popped up. So it's like, well, we all. Sorry, I, I thought you were done. No, no, no. I, I was just gonna say. So there's, there's, it's. Kind of like Mitch was saying about uh, what movie was that earlier? W one day we could just turn a corner and see a little ghost. <laughs> yeah. Like, or Vincent Price in Machine Gun Kelly mode. You know, you never know. <laughs> yes. No, and uh, I, yeah, no. I, I don't want to take us off on a tangent right at the end, but like the movie that really changed it all for me, the first like ghost movie that I saw was a movie that like I was terrified of horror movies at one point when I was a kid, mainly because of Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like, and Ernest Scared Stupid. Those ruined me. But um, I was around. <laughs> he the turns age around seven. in the bed. Yeah, yeah. I was like, so I was seven, eight years old at this point, and my dad, who doesn't like horror movies, has never liked horror movies. He only recently started actually delving into them because of you know the path that I've chosen to take with my life, and that means a lot to me that he wants to see what I love about it so much. But a movie he wanted me to go see with him. He was like, I, I was, I thought it was going to be too scary. And it was the sixth sense. And I was like mm -hmm. seven, eight years old when this movie came out. And I just watched it again last week. And I think it's one of the best mm -hmm. ghost movies ever made. And it's also because it scared the living fuck out of me as a kid. Um, like there were some ghosts that like, you know, they're not, they're not trying to harm you. But then there's the, you know, the, the scene of Haley Joel Osment getting thrown into that little cellar, like locked in the dungeon. And it's like that, that whole scene scared the living hell out of me. Like it still still yes. creeps me out, even though I know what happens. I think it's a beautiful movie. Yes. What's that funny about great. that one is my parents built that movie up for me like it was the scariest thing in the world. And I was like scared to watch it, but I wanted to. And they showed it to me and I wasn't scared by it at all. Oh I thought it was God. a good movie, but I was like, oh, Chad. I was like, this is like a regular kind of like a regular drama. And uh, yeah. I don't know. It was it, weird. I think it's, it's good though. Me. Very good. Yeah, it scared me so bad. I think it's because of Haley Joel Osment's performance is just so good. Like 
you can mm. just feel that kid's trauma. That movie definitely scared me. Yeah, yeah, really scared. No, shout out Misha Barton. What others, Mitch? Uh, the ones I I have the Innocence, the Haunting, um, the Fog, which I think all all of us agree like that's obviously that's a ghost movie. We all consider that a ghost movie. It's John a ghost Carpenter's movie. It's not a haunted house movie. No, it's. A ghost I think movie, the Fog yeah. is my favorite ghost movie of all time. It's but a, it's not a haunted house movie. It's a haunted yeah. town movie. No, it gets better and that better. Movie and that takes place on a really cool day. Yeah. And then the what? last one, oh, yeah, <laughs> the the last one that I have written down here is like one that it's an incredibly unpleasant movie to watch, but it's incredibly effective as the entity. Uh, that movie really messed yes. me up. And I saw that talk like, about scary. Yeah, like that's a genuinely scary movie and very disturbing. And it's like one that I don't recommend to a lot of people because it's like it's a rape ghost. Like it's it's very difficult to watch that movie. It's very that very and that movie, The Incubus. Yeah, that movie, that and that movie, The Incubus. I mean, it's like, you know, it's material that not anybody can watch, you know, because it's pretty rough, but it's like, I can't think of anything much scarier than, you know, rape demons. True. It's horrible. True. Do you guys have a few you want to shout out before we close up tonight? Damn, I think The Changeling is, uh, is one oh. of the top favorites for me. Yeah. Oh, Changeling, absolutely. Hell yeah. Love that George C. Scott in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So good. That's so, also the movie that, started Van- the vancouver film industry funnily enough oh, wow. like when, really when you, even it doesn't matter what you want to do in the industry here you have to go through a motion picture safety course and the changeling there's a whole chapter on the changeling and rambo um which really? is pretty cool so i was like finally this is the schooling i was meant for <laughs> <laughs> interesting that makes sense that it's filmed up there because it's got that great atmosphere that yeah feels new englandy but oftentimes it's not in new england it's over in vancouver that's exactly yeah. it i uh so mitch i did prepare a top 10 it was a top 20 but i narrowed it down to a top 11 so my top 10 is 11 (laughs) Uh, sleepy hollow any version oh Oh, okay two versions is that is that are you starting with number one uh no these are in no particular order oh okay cool sleepy hollow just the greatest the fog crimson peak I say scary stories to tell in the dark because they're basically all ghosts. And uh and uh Sarah Bellows is a ghost witch. Okay. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Um The Woman in Black remake with Daniel Radcliffe. Fucking love that movie. Did y'all ever see that? That movie bores the living <laughs> hell out of me. <laughs> me too. I have the exact same reaction. No! Like, I, want, I remember I was so excited because I know Hayden also. Oh my God, there's so many tangents and I know it's late for you guys, but like I'm a fucking massive fan of the Wolfman remake. Like I love oh, that movie and, and I know both both of you guys are as well, but like that's why the, the whole gothic aesthetic and Daniel Radcliffe, I was a huge Harry Potter fan. Man, that movie bummed me out. Like just, that's a shame I went, yeah. did you see it when it first came out and never revisited i did it? no i i own it and i tried re, i watched it in quarantine and it didn't do anything for me again okay well yeah i'm uh i'm kind of with dan i do firmly believe that you don't have to rewatch every movie you don't like but <laughs> i i kind of wrote it off when i first saw it and i rewatched it and i was like it's slow but holy shit like eel marsh i love the setting of like you know, around uh, around sundown, this place is completely uh, impassable. Like you can't even get here. It flood the driveway floods like every mm-hmm. night, so you're stranded. 
I really love the the Woman in Black uh, remake. I think um, he like he needed somebody else in that house with him. It's so much Daniel Radcliffe just kind of wandering yeah. around alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you get Kieran Hines for a little bit. Or is it Siren Hines? I don't know. I don't remember anyone else in that movie. I saw I saw it in theaters and I never saw it since. Okay. Mance Raider from Game of Thrones. I know you love Game of Thrones, Dan. Um I like the first two seasons. And oh, I thought I you like, didn't okay, I thought you didn't watch it. <laughs> no, I, it was weird. Like I watched season one and two, and I was like, that was great, but I feel done and I moved on. <laughs> you that's just kind of how I season do it. Season three is sometimes. the natural endpoint, Dan. Season three um, is mm. I'll never find out. Okay. Well, you're better off. <laughs> uh Insidious 2, already talked about it. Ghost Watch, already talked about it. Lake Mungo, how do y'all feel about Lake Oh, Mungo? I love Lake oh, Mungo. That's in my, yeah, that's that's in my one of the scariest time. movies I have ever seen. Yeah. And Genuinely. Then, that's yes. another prime example of a ghost movie, though, that like I left it off my list for a reason, because it's not technically a ghost movie, but it is, but it isn't. It's ambiguous. Oh, God. I that it... movie, I love that movie. Yeah. So I good. was watching it in the dark by myself at like it was back in the day whenever I'd like, I would purposefully watch movies at like two in the morning to try and scare myself. And I had to turn it off and like walk around in a circle at like certain points It was yeah. like the first time when they were like, you saw this part, but did you see this? And they zoom oh, in on a certain that, part of the it ruins me. Yes. And I was so creeped out, man. Yeah, so creeped out. But Lake Mungo for me, um, this is a little bit different one. I love the Lovely Bones. I love Peter Jackson's Lovely Bones. I really, I really liked it when it came out. I haven't seen it since it came out, but I remember really liking it. Man, I never that, saw it. I had no idea that was a ghost movie. That movie is uh, very moving to me. I find it very emotional. Um, yeah. And I think my number one's got to be Mike Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House. I. Oh, speaking yeah. of emotional. Yeah. Oh, I'm man, rewatching yeah. it right now, too. I'm on. I'm just like I've been holding off on because I'm about to play episode six again. And episode six is like just a masterpiece of an episode. Is that the Nell one? It's the one where they're all in the funeral home. That's oh, the, the, okay. yeah. The two storms. Where it they go it is just very much yeah. like a character episode. But like for me, you know, that that episode was one of the that was one of the episodes that really like made me want to do what I'm doing now. Like, I, I fucking adore that episode. It's, it's so... a dramatic thing to say, but I feel like that's my favorite show I've ever seen. And I yeah. don't watch a lot of TV shows, though, so it doesn't mean a lot. But I feel it like still it does, though, man, because it's it's that good. It really yeah. is that good. I agree. I agree. And I and I, I'm a big or I was a big TV guy. And I would agree with that. It's yeah. mm, pinnacle. The, la- the last one that I left off, I didn't mention it here, but it is it's technically number four on my list as a movie I was going to talk about with you guys today, but I decided to save it for next week when I'm talking with uh, our other guests. But uh, Dark Water, I don't know if you've seen Dark Water, but never that, seen it. Is that the, the Jennifer Connelly one? So that's the remake. I watched. I loved the original so much that I rewatched. Like I, I had seen. Oh, is it a Japanese remake. movie? Yeah, it's a Japanese movie. Okay, and oh my god man like and especially i know like uh dark water is just very much like up my alley and that movie really blew me away and it's like one of the most emotional and beautiful endings that's also so heartbreaking uh but i yeah i'm going to talk about it more in depth on the next episode because i watched the original and the remake but i cannot recommend the original enough and i'm not even like i've never been a huge j-horror guy 
Hmm. But Dark Water really did it for me. I guess so many movies. Cool. I gotta check it out. Yeah, that one. It's really sad. But I guess if you just said that you love Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House, like that's also a tragic and mm-hmm. sad show. So yeah. No. There's oh god. There's so many great things in this genre. There's so many great ghost movies. Horror really is a bottomless well of mm-hmm. great stuff. Always more to discover. In a good way. A bottomless well of, of yeah. good of good stuff. Dan Mitch, real quick. How y'all feel about the ghost of Mr. Chicken? Because that's an honorable mention. I like it. It's fun. I've never seen it. And I know I grew you, up on that movie. Yeah, I still so that's good. a blind spot for me. It's it's fun. You want some some goofy six. The only thing that bothers me about it, and it bothers me about anything, practically anything Don Knotts, is he's so squeamish about women, where I'm like, dude, you were not 13 years old. Like you need to <laughs> get over this. You're like 40. And it tra- kind of drives me crazy. But it's a fun movie. Like, oh my gosh, a girl <laughs> sitting next to me. And I'm like, oh, it drives ch- me insane. Chicken noodle soup. <laughs> I love Don Knotts. Man. He's so good. He is a child, though. <laughs> Don Knotts from Pleasantville. That's right. And <laughs> everybody rewatch Three's Company. I love, I fucking love Pleasantville. Mr. Farley. Awesome, you guys. This was, do you guys have anything else you want to chat about before we close up? I love the Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. That's the last one I'll throw out. I genuinely love it. I never watched it until uh, quarantine, and I liked. I'm looking forward to the new one. I am too. I'm a big Keith Stanfield fan, and like, I don't know. It looks fun. I'm just disappointed that at the red carpet, you know, the actors couldn't come because the actors strike. They should have just had an empty red carpet and said, "Oh, ghosts are here." Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. Oh wait, can actors not go to their premiere? No, they can't do anything to promote movies. So no interviews, no conventions, really, no promotion. Technically, you're supposed to shut down like every facet, like just not Mm -hmm. supposed to be doing anything for the industry at this moment. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's I know Oppenheimer. They they all walked out of their premiere, which is you know shitty, but also for a good thing. Yeah, got to do it. So we'll see. A lot of horrible stuff in the industry going on. They got to lock it down. They got to fix it. They got to fight for things. Yeah, it's pretty sad. However, uh, I do hope they come to a resolution quickly because I don't want Clint Eastwood to die with Cry Macho being his last movie. I really want (laughs) Jordan to. Speaking of ghosts. You know what, Hayden? If this goes on so long, they have no new movies to release. They might just release Salem's Lot. I would. I'm torn. It's the last thing on our shelf. That's all we got, (laughs) bro. I am torn. This is the last chance we have of Salem's Lot actually coming out. Is if is if Warner Brothers like, look, we're six years into the strike. Uh, We got to just start dumping this shit off the shelves. Where's Pet Cemetery Two? The strike before they are willing to release. Hayden, you and I, we need to do a heist. We need to break into Warner Brothers. We need to steal that movie. Bro. And like bootleg release it. Like somebody has to. No. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I'm picturing I don't know, the man. opening of Hell or High somebody Water has to with fix this with the balaclavas. <laughs> it's where Tenet, Gary? dude. It's the Gary, opening where of Tenet. You? <laughs> we live in a twilight world. <laughs> grab, grab Sam's lot, run out of there. But I was, <laughs> I really just want to talk about Juror 2 because earlier I was thinking about it. I was like, what if Juror 2, Clint Eastwood's Juror 2, is like instead of 12 Angry Man, it's one Angry Man? And it's him convincing 11 other guys that the guy is guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all these woke people are not going to condemn this guy for because of politics. I want Clint to at least go out on another jewel. Yes. Richard jewel. Love, 
Love Richard, Richard Jewell fucking so rocks, dude. Love that movie. Richard Love Jewell is great. So good. I can't believe you guys want Clint Eastwood to make another movie. Like he's like 95. I love I love I Clint Eastwood. I love Clint Eastwood, and I'm so I was so disappointed in Cry Macho. So I won't one I was having this conversation last week with a friend, Zach Tennant. He's uh I've been on his show formatted to fit your screen, but he was we were talking about Indiana Jones. He's like, Are there any other legacy sequels that you want to see? I'm like, No, honestly, like I'm done. Like I'm ready for us to move on from here. Uh-huh. But he's like, I really want a dirty Harry. I'm like, you do not want a dirty <laughs> oh my God. You do not want a dirty Harry. Dirty right Harry now. in the dial of destiny. <laughs> Harry, it's time for you to take your meds. Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> Please allow me to introduce myself. <laughs> A little sympathy for the devil playing in the trailer. Yeah. All right. This was an absolute blast. You guys are the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. Um, can we quickly plug each other? Like, let's plug uh, where people can follow you, Hayden. You can plug me any day, Mitch. Uh, I am on Letterbox. <laughs> I'm on Letterbox at Hayden Comes Alive. I write stupid little reviews there. You can uh, find them there. I also have a link to where you can find my short stories right now. They're publishing several different short story collections um, or anthologies rather. And I am hoping to eventually, I keep saying if I like speak this and if I speak, if I keep saying this, I'll eventually actually do it. I'm hoping to uh, come out with my own collections. So you won't have to buy several different, um, but if you want to read any of them, honestly, just reach out to me. I'll send them to you for free. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. And Daniel, what do you got going on? Primarily these days, I'm doing videos over at the Cobwebs channel. I'm talking about older movies and a lot of physical media, not just like classic movies, but also 80s and 90s stuff too. Um, and then over at the Cobwebs podcast, my main focus these days is the monthly John Carpenter series. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Cobwebs Pod. Awesome. Yes. Great. Thank you guys so much again for joining. Um, Next week, we're going to be back with a returning guest, Cassie Ozog, where me, Boozy and Cassie will be talking about House on Haunted Hill from 1959 and the Dark Castle remake from 1999 starring um, what's this? The Corky Romano, uh, Chris Kattan. No, Jeffrey Rush, dude. No, it's Corky the Corky Jansen. It's the Corky Romano oh my God, House on Haunted Hill. Uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you all next time on the terror table. (laughs) 